Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. This is Speedball Mike Bailey. You're listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yush. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chill and let them have it cause this is just an intro keeping the strong style six stars from the get go boy yeah from Tampa Bay to the Tokyo Dome this is keeping it strong style with your host Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Joshua Smith and thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Jeremy Dominic here with the young boy Josh Smith. On today's show, we will announce the winners of the 2022 year-end awards and cover all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, prowrestlingtees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong Style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and Click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com. Frequently updated and with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared plus, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit NJPWEXT.US today for details. Young boy, it's award season. It is award season. Shout out to uh, Danny for creating the NJPWEXT browser extension. My main man. It's right. Yeah, shout out to Danny. If you're not using the extension for your New Japan World, Viewing experiences, definitely recommend using that. It makes it so much better. You know, Jeremy, every now and again, not always, but every now and again, Aldi produces a pretty decent beer. And over the past few years, they've been getting better and better. You know how we say ratings, takes, and opinions are not a game? Yeah. Well, when it comes to my beer consumption, I always go to a beer advocate to find out what other people are rating. And, and believe it or not, it's on a five-star scale. There, there's a uh, <laughs> Grapple app for a beer? <laughs> uh, I think Grapple app is a, 
is like a is a beer advocate for wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, man, I'm drinking on this uh, limited edition dry hopped sour from um, State of Brewing, which I think is the brewery that does all the Aldi beer. Eighty five percent. That's like a four and a half star, you know, beer. Pretty surprising. And um, I got to tell you, seven dollars for a four pack is pretty good. Wow. Can't beat that. So we're drinking on that pack tonight. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, we are here. It is, you know, the culmination of an entire year of, um, you know, ratings, takes, opinions, like I mentioned earlier. And here we are, the 2022 awards episode, which um, every year, like, you know, it just gets more and more surprising how long we've been doing this. And, you know, it, it's just awesome to see all the voices of those that voted and took time to, uh, you know, participate. Yeah. So we'll start off the show here by going through each of the categories, and announcing uh, all the winners. And once again, thank you to everybody who voted um, for those. Hold who- on, hold on, hold on. I just got big news. The biggest crate sale ever. Save 40 percent on your first pro wrestling crate at ProWrestlingTees.com. Only $17.97. This is crazy, bro. Their biggest crate sale ever. <laughs> oh, man. It's not like I haven't gotten like a million of these. I need to take my phone number off of ProWrestlingTees. Yeah, I need to. I just got the text, too. Yeah. Bro, their biggest crate sale of all time. Ever. It's crazy. <laughs> For the marks. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, year-end awards here. So once again, thank you, everybody, for voting in that. If you're new to listening, uh, we do these year-end awards towards the end of the year. Our grading period is from World Tag League to World Tag League. Got uh, 20 categories here. Everybody voted. They gave their first, second place, and third place votes. Uh, First place uh, vote got three points. Second place votes got two points, and third place uh, boat got one point, so we'll kick it off here with uh, probably one of the biggest categories we have: the wrestler of the year, the Antonio Inoki wrestler of the year. Uh, so we had several nominees here, but our top three are coming in third place with a hundred and nine points. Tetsuya Naito mm. coming in second place. 313 points, the Rainmaker, Kazuchika Okada. And coming in first place with 512 points, the Commonwealth Kingpin, the former IWGP US champion, Will Ospreay. Yeah, and it's not really surprising for a lot of reasons that Will you know, was bestowed this honor. Looking at the voting, I mean, 426 first place votes. Uh, the next closest was Okada with 75. So this was a foregone conclusion. Like there was nobody else that was, you know, even um, in the, the realm of potentially winning this. As great of a year as Naito and Okada had, like this was clearly the weir- the, the year of Will Ospreay. What's wrong with, me? with Will Ospreay? And um yeah, I mean, he just, he blew it away. I mean, from starting the year off with, you know, the Rep Pro title, the IWGP title, the Warrior Wrestling title, headlining the Tokyo Dome, going throughout the year, you know, dropping those belts, having incredible defenses, incredible matches, 
you know, being the MVP of the G1 Climax, failing in the finals in what is probably the match of the year against Kazushika Okada. And then, you know, amongst all that, winning the U.S. title and then having the singular greatest U.S. title reign in the history of that belt's history. And, I mean, that is including, you know, the John Moxley and the Kenny Omega reigns. And, I mean, he he pretty much mopped both of them. And you look at the the title defenses he had. I put out a, a infographic on our Twitter today from Dave Meltzer. He's got a 4.92 average match rating over six matches in like a 200 something day span. That's like unheard of. You're talking about like, I think the, the low point of his title reign is like the first match with Sonata. And even that is a, is a banger. Everything after that. I mean, the match with orange Cassidy, the match with, um, David Finley, Shota Umino, obviously the match that he just had with um, uh, Naito and then uh, Kenny Omega. I mean, it's really no surprise. Like in ring, there was nobody in the world that held a candle to Will Ospreay this year. Yeah, I mean, Ospreay, it's another incredible year, very similar to his uh, 2019 when, when that was another incredible year when he was like in every uh, tournament that year, uh, including the you know, Super Juniors G1. Uh, but yeah, man, Osprey, he's undeniable. Once he's healthy and can get to the place he's trying to wrestle, um, there's just no stopping him. And so, you know, the listeners, they, they see that, they saw that, everybody who voted. And I'll see, I mean, I think there was no, really no other choice to, to go with here with uh, Will Osprey. Uh, very interesting, you know, Naito very barely just squeaking into third place. Uh, Zach Sabre Jr. had 108 points. Um, so Zach only needed uh, two points to, to beat Naito there to, to get in third place. So, Well, the interesting thing when you're analyzing the difference between a Zach and a Naito, they were just one point apart. But Naito came in, had more first place votes with like uh, 48 points total to Zach's just measly 18. He didn't get very many first place votes. But when it comes to second and third place votes, Zach had a lot more fan support, just, you know, taking the points away, just, you know, casting ballots. More people cast ballots for Zach than they did for Naito. But there was a stronger contingency that felt that Naito had a first place year than Zach. So that was kind of what made the difference there. Yeah, but they're very, very similar. Yeah, so yeah, overall, yeah, really tight uh, category here with uh, all these areas pretty much below those top three. Uh, but yeah, kind of what we expected here with Osprey running away and taking the lead. Yeah, and I mean, you know, uh, not to overdo it on the Will Osprey praise, but I mean, it is kind of crazy. Like twenty twenty two, like you mentioned, what was that year? Was it twenty nineteen when he? Yeah, 2019, where he did Super Juniors, G1. He might have been, I think he did New Japan Cup that year also. He has he probably peaked. Uh, well, maybe not, but it's pretty close. But there's a there's probably an argument that he's peaked higher just in, in terms of top-level match quality this year than he did in 2019. But in terms of total output and quality of the year, as great as 2022 was, it's still not even as good as his 2019 year was. <laughs> and I mean, I'm just looking at, you know, a cage match as a barometer here. And I mean, he's got 26 um, matches that are over eight as well as four, you know, over four stars 
from Dave Meltzer, many of them in the four and three quarter and five star range. So, I mean, yeah, and I, I don't think there's anyone else really that was putting that kind of output anywhere in the world. I mean, and if there were, you'd have to probably, um, you know, I, I don't know. It, it might be someone that's like, for instance, like maybe some of the girls from like stardom or something like that, that are going to have less, you know, high, high visual profile versus like a Will Ospreay. But like from like the three big companies, there's really nobody that hold held a candle to Will this year. Yeah. Um, and I mean, and he didn't just do it in New Japan either. I mean, we're talking about, you know, his time in Rev Pro, GCW appearances, Warrior Wrestling, AEW, uh, West Coast Pro. So, I mean, this was a guy that was really all over the place. And this was actually less of a busy travel schedule and working indie dates than what we're used to seeing from Will Ospreay, in, in all honesty. So it's kind of kind of wild. Yeah. One other interesting note, uh, Jay White. This man was the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion for six months and, you know, not even sniffing the top three. I don't think we've ever had that, really, where, where the IWGP champion in the voting period is not even, like, in the top three at all. That's true, but that, you know, he, he just wasn't around that much. But, you know, one thing that's really damning, and it kind of proves to a certain degree what I said when when you and I were discussing um, possibilities, I said maybe we shouldn't put Ishii, maybe we shouldn't put Tanahashi in there. And I mean, those two, Ishii coming in with 57 points, Tanahashi coming in with probably his all-time lowest uh, point total when it comes to these awards, just 21 points. And he was by far the least, you know, performing uh, candidate for wrestler of the year. And that's, you know, really saying something considering it's Tanahashi. Yeah. All right, you want to take us to the uh, match of the year? Yeah, again, congratulations, Will Ospreay, your 2022 Antonio Noki Wrestler of the Year. So next up for the big three, we have the match of the year. And we had quite a few nominees, but it really just came down to three. So coming in third place, we have Tetsuya Naito versus Will Ospreay from Battle Autumn with 129 points. Coming in at second place, we have Kazushiko Okada versus Will Ospreay from Wrestle Kingdom 16 with 182 points. And then your 2022 match of the year, Kazushiko Okada versus Will Ospreay from the G1 Finals 32 with a grand total of 305 total points. Man, uh, once again, I mean, just another kind of blowaway favorite here in, in the first place of votes. And you know, this match of the year, uh, these placements really just solidifies Will Ospreay's case for wrestler of the year. He's in, in the top three matches as voted by you guys, the, the listeners. And you, right. know, you look on cage match and grapple, you will also see that all three of those matches, very um, high ratings, very great reviews. Um, so Will Ospreay really at the top of his game here. Um, the two matches with um, Kazuchika Okada from January, last January, for Kingdom 16, and then the, the G1 finals uh, from August, just two incredible matchups. Both of those matches are the top two, spoiler alert, on, on my match of the year poll that I'll be uh, submitting to the Voices of Wrestling. Um, just two absolutely um, incredible matchups. And to think that, you know, they're doing this stuff in uh, clap crowd environments the past year, limited uh, capacity buildings, 
and they still went out here and had incredible matches. Uh, the Naito Osprey, I know a lot of people were kind of back and forth whether they liked the G1 match or the, the Battle Auto match better, but it seems like with the voting, when I look at other rating sites, the, the Battle Auto match, it was uh, more, people like that match more than the G1 match. Yeah, and I mean, they weren't far off from one another. Your um, The grand total for the Battle Auto match was 129 points. The G1 match between Naito and Osprey, which was your our fourth highest rated match, was 109 points. So not too much of a variance between those two, but it did... It, uh, the battle on a match definitely got more first place votes, but again, you're looking at Will Osprey in the top four matches for you know the nominees here, and it's two duplicates. You know, you're looking at him versus Naito and him versus Okada, and in both cases, we were very curious: could they hypothetically be splitting votes between you know those who preferred one match or the other? And all four of them came in the top four. The, the next closest match that's going to come in at number five is FTR versus Aussie Open from Royal Quest 2. That's the first match on our nominee list that does not include Will Ospreay, and that one's at 105 points. So, you know, again, Will just had a banner year and put on four classics with Naito and, and Okada here. And, um, you know, I'm at the point now where I might want to go and rewatch the Okada and Naito series both of, or at least from this this year both the g1 and the wrestle kingdom matches kind of get a uh, a feel for how i sort of remember those matches now that we've kind of gained some distance from them yeah well now let's take a look at the show of the year so coming in third place with a 170 points Battle Autumn Night 16, which featured the aforementioned Tetsuya Naito versus Will Ospreay matchup. In second place, with 175 points, Wrestle Kingdom 16, Night 2. And then coming in first place, with 328 points, the joint promoted pay-per-view, Forbidden Door. Yeah, um... I mean, I'm not surprised at all. Um, I'm going to just venture to say that Forbidden Door will likely be the show of the year on almost every wrestling publication and news site just across the board, not even just for New Japan, not just for AEW, but across the industry. And, um, you know, it it is something where there was definitely the um, allure of having a first-time crossover show between star or start aew and new japan so there was a lot of fan interest there but this also was kind of taking place where a lot of the business and weekly television for uh aew was very much you know sort of in transition there's a lot of injuries people out uh just different things that were sort of unforeseen and when they originally envisioned the show they had literally top to bottom an entirely different show um you know booked out and then they had to kind of change everything on the fly because there were so many people that were out due to injury or various different um extenuating circumstances and a lot of people were kind of questioning like how is the show going to do in terms of pay-per-view buys and viewership and yada yada and then a lot of people were kind of complaining about the build and all those are actually very valid complaints. They were at the time. And then these two groups went out there 
and put on the best show of the year. And it was something, it kind of reminded me a little bit of that Wrestle, uh, WrestleMania, what was it, 31, where it had a terrible build and then they went out there and like put on one of the greatest wrestling, you know, WrestleMania shows in history and people didn't expect it. That's kind of what Forbidden Door was a little bit. And, uh, you know, we had the, the pleasure of being able to watch that show uh, on a giant screen at an AMC theater. It was just an awesome, incredible viewing experience. But top to bottom, I mean, every single match ruled. And it was just blow away. And again, the match of the night, Orange Cassidy versus Will Ospreay was, you know, one that had everybody in the, <laughs> in the wrestling spectrum talking. Yeah, Forbidden Door, yeah, just a home run success across the board. Like you mentioned, yeah, kind of a... a Lackluster bill, but once the show kicked off, even from the the pre-show, the whole thing was just uh, incredible. And so, yeah, the voters saw that as well. Um, Historic crossover came very close to uh, getting third place. It had 169 points, one point shy of tying with uh, Battle Autumn Night 16. Um, Night 1 versus Kingdom did pretty well, too, 139 points. Um, And then you had uh, G1. Uh, 32 night 12 coming to 93 points so those are some of the uh, oh don taku had 129 so those yeah are i was gonna say i i voted don taku and crossover as my number two and number three i don't remember what order um i am a little surprised but maybe not at the same time to see wrestle kingdom sort of get the as many votes as it did probably due to the fact that it did have the incredible okada osprey match as the headline but also the wrestle kingdom brand is you know, that's a show where even, you know, people that are kind of lapsed or casual, they still tune in. So it's something that's going to stick with people. Plus just the, um, you know, the marquee nature of it being Wrestle Kingdom. But for me personally, I thought that both Wrestle Kingdom, this is one of the first times in the history of this show with these awards where I thought neither Wrestle Kingdom really deserved to be in the, the top three personally. But uh, obviously people felt differently. Yeah, I didn't. I don't think I voted for either night of Wrestle Kingdom. Also, I voted for uh, Forbidden Door was my first place. I think I voted uh, Battle Autumn and then Historic Crossover, or it was my other one. Yeah, but um, Historic Crossover was very, very, very close to getting third place. It was not far off from Battle Autumn, which I thought Battle Autumn was a great show. But I guess, you know, we, we heard a lot of buzz when it occurred that people were saying it was one of the best shows of the year. I don't know if I felt quite that same way watching it as other people, but it seemed to leave an indelible mark for a lot, a lot of folks. So did very well here, but again, forbidden door, your show of the year, 2022. So let's jump into the next award. We have the Jushin Thunder Liger junior of the year award and coming in at third place with 161 votes. We have the current, No, the former reigning IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion, Taiji Shimori, coming in at second place with 289 votes. We have the current reigning IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion, Hiromu Takahashi, and then your winner in a landslide with 523 total points, El Desperado, your 2022 Junior of the Year. And this is his second year in a row winning this award back-to-back. Yeah, I was a little bit surprised that he won it with such a, a landslide this year. Like I, Ow. I know he's very popular, but just looking at the the year he had, to me, I feel like it was kind of a down year. You know, yes, he did start the year off strong by winning the junior title in the Tokyo Dome, but then he quickly lost the belt to Taiji Ishimori. 
Uh, I mean, he had a good, great super juniors, but besides that, I feel like he was kind of downcycled for whatever reason in the booking and was kind of out of the mix until we got back to this four way. Oh, I would disagree. Um, even though he wasn't in the title picture, he was one of the few juniors that still was kept relevant in any sort of way, even though they don't always do a great job of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was a participant in, um, the new Japan cup while he was champion. And he had that incredible match with Okada. Uh, he had the uh, match in America with John Moxley, that death match. Obviously I think that some of his exploits for the Taka Tai Chi JTO shows probably helped out here as well. And yeah. kind of kept him in the public eye, but I wouldn't over, I, I don't want to understate how important his, um, Super Junior run was. He was the MVP of the entire tournament. It wasn't just a good run. He was by far the MVP of the entire thing. And usually if you're the MVP of the uh, Super Junior tournament, you know, champion or no championship, um, that's enough to be considered the, you know, the junior of the year. Yeah, and then pretty much like you mentioned, anytime he was called into place to action like the John Moxley match or, you know, some of the other matches he had kind of throughout the summer, even uh, Forbidden Door, him and Kanemaru teaming up again against uh, Swerve in our glory. Pretty much any time he had a, a spot to go at, he went out and performed. I guess for me, it just, it just kind of seemed like he was a little bit on the back burn just because he wasn't, you know, the champion and have a strong reign. But, yeah, I guess when you look back at his Super Juniors and some of the other stuff he does, and then you mentioned like, some of the, the JTO stuff, yeah, he probably does has a, a stronger year than I was thinking. The other thing, too, I don't think anyone else um, had as much, like, popularity as him. And even though maybe he did have a bit of a down year, because there there definitely is something to that. It's not like the next two candidates, Hiromu or Taichi, or Taichi, Taichi uh, Ishimori, were really blowing the business away either. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. I felt like they were both having down years, so... He even if he wasn't having as dynamic years he did in say 2021, it was still enough to distinguish himself away from the rest of the pack. Plus, keep in mind we had two super juniors in the same calendar grading period. Yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah, yeah. And he was the MVP of both of those tournaments, and that probably you know even though uh, Hiromu won both those tournaments, it, actually Hiromu probably was the MVP of the 2021 tournament, but like. Despy was uh, right there. Despy was right behind him, and then Desperado went out and was the MVP of the, the next year's tournament. And I think he probably had more great matches across the board than anybody else this year, including Hiromu. Yeah. Uh, another interesting thing here, uh, TJP came in fourth place with 129 points. I didn't know if people were going to, you know, kind of give TJP the respect he deserved just based off of some of the stuff he says on Twitter and has, just how people feel about him personally. Uh, but I think people, you know, they saw what he was doing on Strong. They saw what happened with Catch 2-2, him and uh, Francisco Akira, and just the the work that he did this year um, in the junior division in America and Japan. Also, being associated with the United Empire, we've already mentioned how this has seemed to be the year of Osprey. It's also the year of the United Empire, and I think that affiliation has helped quite a few individuals uh, in these awards and just in public perception. Yeah. Well, uh, let's move on now to the tag team of the year. So coming in with third place with 227 points, the team of Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi Bishamon. 
coming in at second place with 255 points. Catch 2-2, Francisco Akira and TJP. And then coming in first place, the 2022 Tag Team of the Year with 431 points. Kyle Fletcher, Mark Davis, Aussie Open. Yeah, I'm um, not necessarily shocked at the outcome here, but I was really wondering going into uh, the award season if there was enough longevity or body of work for Aussie Open to really stand a chance in the voting. Um, But I do think that part of it is like this. Uh, New Japan isn't even necessarily a tag team oriented uh, company necessarily. It's never been their strong suit. And so a strong tag team that comes in and has great matches and makes a connection with the fans and really leaves an Uh, an impression can probably, and as we see here, garner fan support uh, in a short period of time if given the opportunity. And that's exactly what they did. Now, I do wonder if there was influence uh, on this award for the recent work that they did in the World Tag League, even though that's not considered part of our grading period. I have to assume that there's probably a lot of people that saw the run that they were going through on during that tournament and maybe attributed some of it to them, but there's no denying that they've had an incredible year. The FTR match was something that everybody was talking about across the industry. Um, They were the first ever strong open weight tag team champions and really were doing some excellent work on the U S brand over there. And then once they did come to Japan, um, a lot of people were, you know, very amped for that and excited and they made a, a huge impression. So my only question was whether whether or not they had enough of a body of work, but I guess that at this point it doesn't seem to have bothered the voters one way or the other because what they did see, they were really impressed with. Yeah, definitely the voters, they went with quality over quantity um, in this category, right. uh, especially with the second-place team also, Catch 2-2. Uh, I mean, they formed uh, halfway throughout the year and um, quickly gained a ton of momentum. They quickly won the junior tag team titles, um, and just had a great, they've been, they're currently having a great run. You know, they're on what their fourth defense now, um, and just been having really good matches with, you know, Bushi and Teton and six or nine and their super junior league, even though I know it's part of next year's grading period, uh, their super junior tag league was, um, very, very good, had some of the best matches, um, throughout the whole tournament. So again, yeah, a short kind of time period for, um, Kira and TJP, but they gelled quickly and had a series of great matches yeah and it's exactly what i mentioned during the previous uh category that we discussed is these teams that are aligned with united empire as great a year as they have had as a group that's also kind of uh permeated over here as well and i mean it's um you know it's almost synergistic because these two teams had great years and that bolsters the reputation of the group but at the same time as you know they say uh you know, a rising tide raises all ships. So it's kind of like as the group was gaining more notoriety, it was also helping them kind of ride that momentum as well. Now, I got to tell you, I voted for Bishamon number one, and it wasn't because I felt like they peaked higher than these teams necessarily, but I felt like the length of 
time that they were teaming and all the work that they did to me was a little bit more like I kind of had to um, recognize that, I guess I would say, but it is hard to kind of argue against, you know, the, like you mentioned the quality over quantity and like these two teams made a huge impact in a very short amount of time. Yeah. But with Bishop Mon, I mean, they, they won the, um, they won the World Tag League in the grading period. They won the tag team titles at the Tokyo Dome. Um, so, I mean, they had a ton of accomplishments um, in this grading period. Great. Well, that's going to take us on to the next category. Again, your tag team of the year, Aussie Open. Congratulations. And that's going to take us to the Carl Gotch Strong Style Award. And this is that award that we... Uh, usually award to those who are about that life. They want all the smoke (laughs) and they showcase it with violence and technical acumen. And um, your top three winners, um, starting off with number third, third place, 213 points. We have Zach Sabre Jr., submission master. And in a very tight race, coming in second place with 316 votes, Tomohiro Ishii, which leaves us with our winner for the 2022 Strong Style Award, 365 points. Your winner, Shingo Takagi. And I believe this is his second year in a row, maybe third. I think it's his third. Wow. So, you know, this kind of used to be the Ishii slash Shibata Award, where those guys were always, like, at the forefront winning this thing. And, uh, you know, last few years, it seemed... You know, even though it's always close between Ishii and Shingo, Shingo's kind of dominated this award, you know, for the past few years or whatever. Yeah, this is one of the most fun to watch um, as voting was happening because in the early half of voting, some of the early voters were all in on Ishii. Ishii kind of had a slight edge over Shingo, but then whatever happened, that second wave of voters came in and, and they were on the Shingo train and it was really neck and neck uh, towards the, the closing of the ballot. And you see in the first place, uh, points Shingo 204 Ishii 183 um, so both of them are receiving a ton of first place votes from the listeners and very close in that um, but then when you got into second place Shingo kind of dominated second place votes um, and they were kind of neck and neck with second and third place but yeah those first place votes really put uh, Shingo over the edge there there was a point where you were like it's really close between Ishii and Shingo. This is like coming down to like the wire. And I was like, it's not close. And you're like, I mean, it's close point wise. And I'm like, Shing. And at the time, like Shingo was beating him in every category. And I'm like, Shingo has more first place, second place and third place. votes. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter how that they're both in the three hundreds. Like I was like, this guy won. It's already <laughs> over. <laughs> but um, yeah, man, Shingo went out there and, you know, he started the year off with the IWGP World Heavyweight title, headlining the Dome against Okada. He dropped that title, and people were really wondering what's next for him. And he talked about how there was a crown that was, you know, sort of in front of him that he was going to take an alternate path. People were thinking he was going to go after, like, the GHC title and stuff like that. And it turned out that he was going to go after, you know, the KOPW title. And even though he kind of... Uh, you know, downplayed his involvement with KOPW all throughout the year. He had two of the best feuds, not just from a match quality standpoint, although it's part of it, but also from a character and backstage standpoint as well with um, ELP and uh, Taichi over the KOPW title and had 
you know, a trilogy of fantastic matches between both of those guys, not to mention everything else that he did in the G1 as well as uh, the New Japan Cup and really just had a, another standout year, even if it wasn't in the upper echelon main title scene. Yeah, Shingo really elevated that um, the King of Pro Wrestling title this year. Um, you know, it, it was a joke. Um, you know, it was, you know, everybody saw it kind of the, the Yano comedy hour. Um, and also Tai Chi got it off of Yano. And then that kind of kicked off the, the Tai Chi and Chingo uh, series of matches and um, some kind of, you know, wonky stipulations. But they really made them work with all those you know different count matches they had. And it was just really hard hitting stuff between um, Shingo and Tai Chi. And then you have the ELP feud. Yeah, they had the goofiness with, you know, who's your daddy. But once the bell rang, those guys were killing it. You look at the, the New York street fight they had at the, the rumble on 44th street pay-per-view. They had some crazy insane spots and in that. And so, yeah, Shingo, I mean, yeah, he got downcycled from the you know world title picture, but he took that KOPW and made it meaningful, made it worthwhile, made it must watch. And yeah, I'm glad he's getting rewarded here with this, uh, the Carl Glotch strong style award. Nice. So Shingo Takagi, your, Strong style winner of the year 2022. Nice. Next, we'll go to the feud of the year. So coming in third place with 221 points, the feud between the United Empire and Los Ingobernables de Japón. So, of course, that would include uh, the Osprey and Naito matches. That would include Catch 2-2 versus Bushi and Teton. Um, so really kind of encompassing, you know, all the feuds that those guys had together into the one and then uh, coming in second place with 234 points, the feud between Shingo Takagi and Taichi, I mean, you know, mainly that happened around uh, KOPW and then coming in first place with 275 points. The feud between Kazuchika Okada and Tetsuya Naito. These guys feuding over the IWGP World Heavyweight title the past year. uh, Having a series of matchups there that were all really great. Yeah, I mean, we've got to give credit where credit's due and throw flowers at this series of matches. It's a little bit forgotten now at this point, but it is one of the reasons that Okada and Naito both wound up in the second and third place, uh, you know, standings when it comes to wrestler of the year. A lot of that is based off the work that they did against one another in the early part of the year, even though some of that eventually kind of became forgotten. Um, they had a trilogy of matches that were really just outstanding and some of the best work that they've done against each other, especially uh, ever since the pandemic era started. And, you know, um, a lot of people were kind of fantasy booking them to have a fourth match either in the G1 or at this year's Wrestle Kingdom. So, I mean, there was an anticipation that they would have another to kind of fuel the series. But regardless of, you know, unfulfilled wishes, these guys had three really, really fantastic matches and kind of bolstered Okada's, uh, you know, title resume for the brief period that he held the title in the first half of the year. Yeah, and it's very interesting, too, just seeing how the voting uh, played out here in this one. Very close uh, point totals there between first, second, and third place. But, yeah, those, those really those series. And fourth and fifth. Yeah, so, yeah, coming in uh, fourth, we had uh, Shingo and ELP, 214. 
G.O.D. and Bullet Club, 194. Um, so yeah, there was a really a lot of really good feuds uh, this uh, past calendar year in uh, New Japan. Yeah, that G.O.D. Bullet Club. I'll see. You know, that's with Jay kicking out Tama and Tangaloa and how that all played out. Uh, Hikaleo and all that stuff. So that was a really good feud there. Yeah, and like we mentioned earlier, Shingo and ELP. Those uh, series they ma- matches they had for KOPW were also great. Yeah, and I, I think that this is a situation where we are seeing probably, most likely, votes split between Shingo ELP and Shingo Taichi. Mm. Um, even though they were different feuds, I feel like with how similar the point totals were, if we hadn't had one of those listed here, it, it's definitely possible that one of those could have potentially been voted the feud of the year, but it probably split the vote just a tad bit. Yeah. Uh, I'm happy to see that uh, Rosser and Lawler got some love. They came in with 115 points. I know a lot of people don't always tune into New Japan Strong or pay full attention to what's going on with that rivalry, but, you know. Or or will be able to in the future. <laughs> right, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you know, 30 in a row, these guys won, you know, the, the strong match of the year for the New Japan voting that they do. Um, and such, you know, such heated angles of, you know, Tom shaving this man's head and, um, some of the promos they did in that wild matchup they had where Rosser finally won the belt. For, for me, in this calendar year, just from what I like out of wrestling, I think, and then also taking into account not just the in-ring action, but the actual uh, heat of, when it comes to promos and when it comes to segments and, and stuff like that, nothing on this list to me truly actually touched Rosser and Lawler, I think they just kind of um, were hurt from a few things. Number one, being on strong. Number two, the embargo against sharing gifts and sharing videos that are owned by TV Asai. If hypothetically, if you'd been able to like actively share what had gone down between these guys on social media, there's every possibility that the brand could have done better and this feud could have got more recognition, but because so few people saw it, you know, and plus it's kind of seen as like a minor league thing, almost like an NXT to a main roster sort of visibility. Uh, you know, that's why, but yeah, I am glad it got some 115 points, but uh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, overall, yeah, a really good year of feuds in uh, new Japan. Yeah. So again, uh, your winner this year, Okada versus Naito, the feud of the year. So that's going to take us to, the Big Van Vader Gaijin of the Year Award. We had a lot of great nominees. Your top three uh, coming in third place with 172 points. We have the Switchblade, Jay White. Coming in second place with 223 points, we have Zach Sabre Jr. And then your winner probably is no surprise based on the wrestler of the year voting. At 533 points, we have... Will Osprey, the Big Van Vader Gaijin of the Year? Yeah, I mean, we've been singing, you know, Osprey's uh, praises, you know, all episode long so far, and just for the great work that he did this past year. And I mean, once again, yeah, he was the, the best foreign wrestler um, this past calendar year. I mean, we already list all his accomplishments that he had this year, all the great matches, title matches, the work he did with the U.S. title, the AW Trios tournament stuff. Um, and all building up to the feud with Kenny. Uh, I mean, Osprey just was on a uh, next level and was just a step ahead of every foreigner on this list. Yeah, when you have the kind of output and body of work that he had this year, it's sort of hard for anybody else to 
stand up to that. But um, this year with United Empire sort of becoming more of a focal point and really gaining uh, a standing in the hierarchy of New Japan, I think that that helped quite a bit. I also don't want to, and of course, you know, when if 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 someone is a foreigner and they win Wrestler of the Year, they're very likely going to win Big Van Vader Gaijin of the Year. It's kind of just a, it's a foregone conclusion. But um, we would be remiss if we didn't also recognize the early work that Will Ospreay did on the New Japan of America brand, not just on Strong, but also on the pay-per-views. And he sort of headlined most of those pay-per-view um you know, ventures in the U.S. as well and sort of kind of helped to establish himself as a draw in the U.S. for the New Japan brand as well, which probably helped a lot here too. Yeah, the incredible um, Windy City Riot match with John Moxley and then the, the four-way U.S. title match that they had at Capital Collision. Yeah, Osprey had a lot of great stuff um, in the U.S. as well and kind of during the end of the grading or the beginning of the grading period, kind of closing off that feud with the L.A. Dojo. Um, so yeah, Osprey killing it in us and in japan so uh moving on to our next category the faction of the year so coming in uh third place with 223 points suzuki goon which this will be their last year (laughs) they're never gonna get a chance to win this ever again Uh, coming in second place with 253 points, Los Ingobernables de Japón. In six years of doing these awards, this is the first time ever that LIJ did not win this award. So with that, coming in first place with 524 points. The United Empire, Will Ospreay, Catch Tutu, Aussie Open, Jeff Cobb, Great Ocon, and Gideon Gray. And Aaron Hanare. And Aaron Hanare, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Fucked up of you to forget him. (laughs) (laughs) My apologies, Um, Hanare. I just want to say, to anyone that's listening, it might sound right now that we are like some sort of United Empire, like propaganda machine. <laughs> this is not the fact. That is not what this show is. If, if you're just tuning in, please be aware. We did not decide these winners. This was voted on by the vast public, you know, voting audience. So it, this is not something where we uh, manipulated it or decided it. It just happens to be that this was the year of the United Empire and it, is the first time ever in the history of this show that Los Ingrenables de Japón did not win the award. There's been some years where it's been close. There's been many years where they blew people out, but this was not close by any measurable metric at all. Like United Empire ran away with this. And I mean, again, look at the awards. You've got Will Ospreay doing everything he's done. Aussie open and catch 22, you know, um, pretty much dominating the heavyweight and junior tag scenes. Jeff Cobb and um, Great O'Conn also having very dominant years. Uh, Aaron Hanari taking a step up, beating Tanahashi in the, the G1. Gideon Gray becoming like the top front man and, and manager in all of wrestling. I mean, it's not really that surprising. The, the only thing that is surprising is the 
vast difference between 253 points and 524 points. They almost doubled LIJ, which is just kind of insane, honestly. Yeah, that, that's crazy. Like, I knew it's that. It's never happened before. <laughs> like, I knew you, you know, the Empire was going to do good, but I didn't expect them to do this good. Um, no. Especially to, again, <laughs> in, incorporating, you know, some people who don't like Will, who don't like TJP. Uh, right. I, I thought a lot of that hate might sway the voting, but it looks like the voters, you know, voted what they saw on, on the television screens and what's happening in the ring. And it was undeniable that United, United Empire was going to run away with this thing. Yeah, very surprising. I mean, I, I don't have much more to add here. The only thing I will say is, like, we've got Suzuki Goon in here. we got Team Filthy, TMDK, and, you know, those groups are going to – and Bullet Club, and we mentioned this a few weeks back with Suzuki Goon disbanding and everything that's kind of happening in the fallout of that. We're getting new units. We're getting new groups. There's speculation with the future of the Bullet Club. Uh, everything that's happening with the New Japan of America brand, we don't know if groups like Straw Dog Army or the LA Dojo or you know all of that. What's going to happen with Team Filthy? What is the future of these types of you know uh, units? And then Team DK has kind of gone through a whole overhaul. And I I gotta imagine by the time we're doing the show next year, things are going to be very different. So you know um, this is kind of the last year of like even though some of these groups are, are new that like we've pretty much for the entire time we've done the show, we've had bull club chaos, Hantai, LIJ, Suzuki goon. And that's kind of going away. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and next year it's going to be a whole different mix. I don't even know how we label just four guys or if that's even going to continue. Do you think as they like lose or gain members, they change the names, like just three guys, <laughs> just two guys, just eight guys. You know what's gonna happen there? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You know, Taka's gotta push that uh, that just branding, so we'll see what happens. But yeah, I mean, yeah, depending on their year, just four guys could uh, end up on here next year. Yeah, so it's gonna be interesting. But uh, your winner, United Empire, first time ever. Uh, next up, we have the most improved award. Now, keep in mind, this is not just improvement when it comes to in ring work. This could be improvement in any level or category. It could have to do with someone getting a push or gaining a, a higher measure of stature in the company. It could be an improvement in any measurable metric, whether that's promos or character work or in-ring work or what have you. So this is kind of an all-encompassing award. We had some really great nominees, but it came down to just three. Coming in third place with 201 points, we have uh, the Wild Rhino, Clark Connors. Coming in second place with 278 points, David Finley. And coming in first place with 293 votes. So kind of close here. Mm -hmm. uh, we have your winner, the good bad guy, Tama Tonga. Yeah, again, this was another really uh, fun race to, to watch um, play out, uh, especially between uh, Tama Tonga and David Finley. Um, both these guys uh, had a really good years, and you see Clark Hans there with third place. You know, Clark really elevated his game with the the All Atlantic tournament and uh, filling in for Ishii there, getting in that four way at Forbidden Door. I think a lot of people really discovered um, Clark Connors through that, and then just the work he did on New Japan Strong. He really improved throughout the year, and you know the, the title match with uh, Tom Waller. 
Then uh, Dave Finley, you know, on this show all year, we were saying, you know, Finley really needs to step it up. He needs to show us something. And he did that uh, with that match with uh, both matches with, with Will Ospreay, especially the, the U.S. title match. Um, so it's an incredible in-ring year uh, there for David Finley. And then Tamatonga, another guy where every year we're like, they need to do something with this guy or he needs to do something different. Um, and this year he did something different, became babyface, got super over with the crowds, uh, good promos. He was in heated feuds. Had some really good matches. Won uh, the never open weight title. Um, so really elevated his stock, I think, across all categories here. Yeah, I mean, typically this race comes down to, historically speaking, just two individuals. And it's usually pretty close between those two guys. It's sort of just been a pattern that we've noticed year over year. And those two individuals, whoever they are, whether they are the winner or the runner-up, they usually have had phenomenal years and go on to do great things in subsequent years. And that's kind of what you saw here from Dave Finley and Tamatonga. In my book, either one of them would have been well-deserving to win this award. But Tamatonga really did distinguish himself quite a bit with his run through the G1, his uh, work joining up with um, Hontai and making himself, you know, this white meat hot baby face and you know basically questing to avenge the wrong that was done to him and his brothers and gaining a a sense of revenge from the bull club and it's something that resonated with a lot of people his work spoke for itself and i mean he not only has you know really uh pushed himself in the ring but also from a physical standpoint he won the concurso this year just uh has added a lot of really cool little wrinkles to his overall presentation and his physical fitness. And I'm not surprised at all that Tamatonga won here. And I'm pretty sure a lot of us voted him first place. So uh, congratulations, Tamatonga most improved. Yep. So next up the new Japan of America MVP. So coming in third place with 159 points, the current strong open weight champion, Mr. No days off Fred Rosser. Coming in second place with 194 points, the former IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, Switchblade Jay White. And then coming in first place with 270 points, Filthy Tom Lawler. I mean, (laughs) it's like... um... There's a lot of guys that were on this list that did a lot of great things, not just on the strong brand, but also for the New Japan branded U.S. pay-per-views. I mean, you had all the lion and development guys that have kind of come out of that dojo. Clark Connors and Ren Narita, who've had fantastic years. Jonah with his undefeated streak, and he became this like unbeatable monster. Then you kind of had like the foreign import, or I shouldn't say foreign, but like the domestic imports, guys that are big names over in Japan that came over and lended their expertise, like Tomohiro Ishii or Minoru Suzuki. Uh, and then, of course, you had Aussie Open sort of just sort of making their bones in New Japan of America. And the, the voting was very, very tight here just across the board with everybody. So this one's always very interesting. But when it comes down to th- these three guys that were the finalists, um, you know, essentially Fred Rosser was sort of like the, the champion and the main guy. And I feel like in the early part of the year, his quest for the title is what really fueled 
a lot of the support for the voting here. And that's probably why he got, uh, you know, the, the recognition. And I feel like had he carried that momentum past his title win into meaningful matches and title defenses and programs, it would have been a slam dunk that he won here. But unfortunately, he wasn't able to do that. He was kind of overshadowed by Jay White and Tom Lawler. I think Jay White sort of really made a name for himself in the first half of the year with the US of J Open Challenge. And right. Headlining all these strong events and facing all these AEW talents. Uh, but unfortunately, he was gone in the second half of the year and that sort of dwindled. The one constant that was here all year was Tom Lawler. And for my money, we don't know what's going to happen with the strong brand going forward, but there's literally no name to me that is more synonymous, maybe other than like Rocky Romero, but that's for different reasons. But when it comes to like being the face of this promotion and being like the standard bearer and the guy that entertains and is most recognizable, it's got to be filthy Tom Lawler. Uh, you know, the feud with Fred Rosser plays a huge part into it, but not just that he had other title defenses that were really fantastic. And every single feud that he was in really like meant something, including like the Clark Connors feud. And then even after dropping the title, he was doing cool and unique, interesting things with like homicide and uh, Tomohiro Ishii and different individuals and kind of just kept his, his profile high. And then, you know, was able to parlay the success that he had in New Japan of America into being able to compete in the G1, which I'm sure probably helped. It almost felt like he was there representing New Japan strong as opposed to being like a full-fledged member of New Japan, you know? Right, yeah. Um, and, I, and I feel like that's probably a lot of the reason why he got the, the, the win here. And, I mean, let's not understate how big this is. He beat out Jay White. Will Ospreay, Tomohiro Ishii, and Minoru Suzuki as the the most valuable player for New Japan of America. That's huge. Yeah, and again, the voting was really fun to watch on this one because, again, in the early voting, the early weeks of the voting, Tom and Jay White were very uh, neck and neck with their the first place votes. But then yeah. uh, that, that, that second wave of voters, uh, the, the last minute voters came in and really showed some love to uh, Filthy Tom and he uh, ran away there with the, the first place uh, points there. So, yeah, big up. I think this is his back-to-back win, too. Yeah, yeah. Last year, he also won the New Japan of America MVP. So, yeah, Tom just did great work on the brand with that great long title run, several great defenses, got over in Japan this year in the G1. You know, that that filthy clap, the duh, that got really over. Um, and so, yeah, so shout out to filthy Tom Lawler. Great. So uh, next up, we have the newcomer of the year and coming in third place with 270 points. We have Jonah coming in second place with 297 points. We have Francesco Akira um, and then in first place, 484 points. So quite a bit. Your winners for the newcomer of the year the tag team of Aussie Open, Kyle Fletcher and Mark Davis. Yeah, so once again, we're seeing United Empire uh, dominance in another category here with, um, you know, four of their members here um, placing. So obviously with uh, Francisco Akira made his New Japan debut this year in Best of the Super Juniors, 
had a really good Super Juniors tournament and then forming the Catch 2-2 team with TJP and where we talked about all the great defenses they had there. Um, and then Aussie Open um, came in, uh, finally made their Japan debut. Like you mentioned earlier, they were the first strong openweight tag team champions, had some good defenses, did some stuff on impact with those titles, um, eventually dropped the belts to Motor City Machine Guns, and then had the incredible match of the year contender with FTR at Royal Quest 2. Um, so yeah, like we talked about earlier, these guys came in and really did a lot in the time that they came in, in the, the grading period here and between new Japan of America and what they did in Japan towards the end of the grading period, they had a really strong year. Yeah. I don't have much more to add to that. We've kind of, uh, sang their praises earlier, but the w- one thing I will just say is this is not a tag team company and for a tag team to come in and win newcomer of the year in such a short amount of time, it really speaks volume. So, yeah. And then, uh, Jonah coming in uh, third place there. Um, you know, he was undefeated all year on new Japan strong. Then he came into the G one, um, had a fun G one, uh, beat Okada. Then he had the rematch with Okada. That was really good as well. And so, you know, he got over really big in Japan, made a lot with what he had in Japan, then on new Japan strong. So definitely good work there by Jonah. So, yeah, yeah, and I think there's some guys here that are really fantastic additions that did, maybe didn't get the love. And I mean, it, it, this is not an indictment on the voters. I mean, you can only cast so many votes, but I think moving forward, we're going to see where some of these guys start to shine, like Shane Haste and Yuto Nakashima and Bad Dutito. I think all three of the, uh, those guys who didn't get a lot of love when it comes to the voting here as the years progress, we're already with the post-match promos and, and the programs that they're getting involved in. We're starting to see a lot more of their work and personality shine through. And we're going to look back and, and be grateful to have uh, those guys added to the, you know, to the company. Yeah. So up next, we got the fighting spirit award. So this uh, award is um, an award that we give to, you know, something that represents fighting spirit. And that could be a number of different things. That could be um, somebody who had, you know, a really great title reign, great title performance, somebody who came back from injury, um, somebody who, you know, is coming out of retirement, somebody who is retiring. Um, So there's a lot of different things that this um, fighting spirit award can represent. So um, coming in third place with a hundred and eighty-three points, we had Saber with Zaki Two Cups. So winning his second New Japan Cup in his run with New Japan Pro Wrestling. Coming in second place at a hundred and ninety-two points, Tama gets revenge on Jay and wins the B Block. So big moments there for Tama Tonga. And then coming in first place with 248 points, Gabe Kidd returned from mental health struggles. Um, So, you know, that was pretty well documented uh, throughout this year. You know, Gabe Kidd, he was having a really great year, having a lot of really great matches in RevPro and in New Japan, uh, and then had on a step away due to some mental health struggles. But then he, he came back. Um, had some good matches, got to be in the, the World Tag League, which I know that counts part of next year's grading period. But he came back, had some good matches there, and, and has come back and is doing really well right now. This is an award uh, category that I love because it, even if not everybody 
can win. Just getting nominated probably indicates that you did something very meaningful. It's kind of like the good feel good, uh, you know, moments and, and items that are on the docket for new Japan throughout the, the calendar year. Um, but this one here with Gabe Kidd returning from mental health struggles to the company is something that's pretty special. Um, I, I'm never sure what's going to win when it like many of the other categories, like wrestler of the year, like match of the year, you, you have a pretty good indication, but when it comes to fighting spirit award, this is, this is what tells you what really resonated with the audience and what mattered to people like what tugged on their heartstrings. And I'm not always good at kind of, um, picking that out ahead of time and predicting it. But Gabe Kidd returning from mental health struggles, like you mentioned, Jeremy, it was something that was very much documented. We knew about it. And then there was a lot of concern once he initially came out and did that promo uh, at New Japan Strong explaining what he went through during the pandemic era and everything like that. It was like, wow, you know, people were, very impressed with how openly and frank he he was in discussing his struggles but once that once that was over and we started to see him have all these incredible classic performances there were a lot of things that were happening on social media and in interviews and you know kind of erratic behavior and people were getting very concerned uh and hats off to the company from all reports they were very supportive and understanding and got him the help that was necessary. And so did a lot of his uh, stable mates and, and coworkers in, in New Japan as well. And just different people pro- uh, across the industry. And this was an example of how sometimes the wrestling industry can come together and do good. But once all that was done, a lot of us were left wondering, like, is this it for Gabe Kidd? Is this kind of like a key to more situation where like he had so much promise and then we don't know where he is, what's going to happen. And then to kind of see him rebound from that and get the help that was necessary and return to action. And it's something that really had for me, it makes me respect him quite a bit as someone who I myself, you know, struggle with mental health issues as well. Um, it is something kind of inspiring. And I think it's something that also resonated a lot with the voters and, you know, people can't help but respect that. So um, one thing before I kick it over to you, after we got done with the awards and after voting was already live, like a few weeks into it, I was like, we probably should have thrown Shingo, the king of pro wrestling on me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how, somehow we overlooked his run as the KOPW, you know, the guy that kind of like revitalized KOPW, but, uh, you know, oh, well. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least he won the, the Carl Gotch, uh, strong style of the year award. So he well, got, I don't even know if he would have won, but it would have been interesting to see how that might have potentially affected the voting, but we, we forgot to nominate him. Yeah. Um, oh, well, sorry, Shingo. Uh, you won the strong style of the, the year award. Uh, but yeah, you know, with Gabe kid, um, you know, I think a lot of people, like you mentioned, really resonate with this and can relate to having mental health struggles. And so, I think it was, you know, probably really real and raw to a, a lot of people. And so they're really related here. And that's how the voted reflected. So uh, congrats to uh, Gabe Kidd on the Fighting Spirit Award and glad that you are back in New Japan and looking forward to see uh, what you do this coming up year. Cool. So congratulations, Gabe Kidd. Return for Mental Health Struggles Fighting Spirit Award 22. 
Next up, we have the, and we've renamed it <laughs> under the, uh, you know, demands of one Alex Coglin, the uh, cyborg or the android, which you, you don't you don't argue with an android. So, uh, the rebranded Young Lion of the Year Award 2022, and uh, coming in third place, this was a tight vote with 321 points. We have Kosei Fujita. Coming in 332 points in second place, we have Ryohei Oiwa. And in first place with 361 points, your first place winner and the 2022 Young Line of the Year, the Jet, Kevin Knight. Yeah, I'm thinking, you know, Kevin Knight probably got a, a lot of love here based off of what he did in the Super Junior Tag League on uh, teaming with Kushida, which, you know, that technically counts for uh, next year's um, voting period. But Kevin Knight did have a really good year um, this year, mainly uh, competing on New Japan Strong. You know, him and DKC, they won a lot of matches together as a tag team, as Young Lions being established teams. They got to a point where they were in a tag title match on pay-per-view. So that tag team was pushed uh, very heavily this year on New Japan Strong. And um, just the way he wrestled compared this year to last year, like he, his game really um, tightened up there with the work in the LA Dojo with Shibata, his wrestling game tightened up and we saw him spread his wings literally with some of uh, his, the way he jumped in his high flying um, in the, in the ring. And so, yeah, Kevin Knight did really solid work this past year. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Um, I also think that even though, Fujita and Oiwa debuted this year and were featured heavily in the domestic product. Uh, there's no denying that the popularity and visibility of the domestic product has been down a little bit this year. Whereas like Kevin Knight is somewhat of a known commodity already having a bit of an indie career prior to signing with the LA Dojo. Plus, you know, the reputation that sort of sur- number one just the fact that he is a black young boy like that's something that's like stands out because we've never had an african-american like young lion in any like you know there's hardly any sort of like wrestlers of color in new japan to begin with right so the the idea that like there is a young lion that's uh african-american is something that really does stand out and i'm not saying that that's why he won it but i'm i am saying that it is something that's noticeable and then once you see him work in the ring, whether it was at the beginning of the year or all the way into the tag league, he is someone that is just incredibly gifted when it comes to the in-ring work, where even if, like, let's say hypothetically, you're watching all the domestic shows and you're seeing Oiwa and Fujita regularly, um, I think that they're both very impressive and, and I, you know, I like those guys a lot. But if you see Kevin Knight one time, like, let's say you're watching Oiwa and Fujita all year, but you see... Kevin Knight just one time he stands out for whatever reason he's got like the it factor mm-hmm. and something that is like sort of memorable and kind of sticks with you whereas I'm not sure that Fujita and Oi were at a point where when they're wrestling even though they're they have all the fundamentals and they have fire and I think they've got a, a huge upside they don't have that thing where like when you see like Kevin Knight you're like damn this guy's gonna be a star yeah, I mean, they just don't have that right now. Yeah, he has that that charisma. He has that cool factor. Like you see yeah. him, yeah, he looks like a star now that he has like he's graduated and has like the orange get up. Like he looks super cool. Looks like a star. Like a ton of charisma. 
His promos are fun. Like he's going to be a big star in professional wrestling. And, and this is a year where, aside from those three guys, you got Yuto Nakashima and DKC. So it's a fairly new, relatively speaking, field of young lions. Whereas in the past, you had a lot of established guys sort of overlapping at different periods. So you had a wider field of people to vote from as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause, yeah, cause like what, we, what we've been seeing in the shift, you know, previously, you know, young lions kind of stayed in that program for a lot longer. So like, like you're mentioning, yeah, you had years where like maybe your more would be on there twice or Suji would be on there twice. Well, now it's going to be interesting to see with them trying to speed up the process of young lions and graduation, like which of these guys? Well, Kevin Knight's not going to be on here next year, and so it's going to be interesting to see, like, with this remaining few that we have here, who's going to be on here, and then how many new young lines are we going to get? Like hypothetically, if Umar and, and Suji had, God forbid, had to stay <laughs> uh, in the domestic product for whatever reason, we might not be getting a vote for Kevin Knight or you know the other two younger lines, but because they kind of cleared out um, the guys that were senior to them. Uh, like the senpais and sort of sent them off on excursion. It sort of opened the field for these younger guys to be more, you know, visible and, and get those votes. So um, yeah, Kevin Knight, very impressive. And uh, like you also said, Jeremy, I think that also the run that he had during the world tag league probably was another big reason why people voted, even though it's not technically part of our uh, voting period. I don't know how rigidly, the voters actually abide <laughs> yeah. by that, especially when it's 2022 and that that tour is taking place in 2022. I'm sure a lot of people are like, damn, he got like an orange jumpsuit, he got a cool gimmick. Like, this, this is the man right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, for Fujita. <laughs> uh, so uh, next up, we'll look at the strong style fight of the year. So, of course, this is awarded to the match that was the hardest hitting you know, that match, it felt like a fight, that gritty, knock him down, bloody, just hard-hitting uh, matchup that, we, like we said, it, it feels like a fight. So uh, coming in at third place with 145 points, Shingo Takagi versus Tomohiro Ishii from the New Japan Cup. Coming in second place with 163 points, Shingo Takagi versus Zack Sabre Jr., from the New Japan Cup. And then coming in first place with 221 points, Tomohiro Ishii versus Ren Narita from Battle Autumn. I mean, you know, we gave a pretty uh, in depth review after Battle Autumn when this match took place, and uh, it was just getting rave reviews at the time. And I sort of had a feeling based on the reception it was receiving that this was probably going to be a likely candidate uh, for the fight of the year. And to nobody's surprise, it, it was awarded that. And I think a lot of it just has to do with the, aside from the quality in ring action, because the match itself was fantastic, but there's also, this was like the first major return bout for Renderita coming back from excursion to the domestic product. And then there's the allusions to the famous battles between Shibata and Ishii. And of course, it's Ishii and it's Narita. And those two guys are maniacs and they went out there and 
suplexed the shit out of each other and kicked and elbowed and struck and chopped and did everything imaginable in one of these hard hitting strong style fights. And even though we, we have seen a lot of those over the pandemic era, it's felt like for whatever reason, as the latter half of this year has kind of come to place, we've seen a lot more viewers returning to the product, especially with like this, uh, new Japan world television title tournament taking place and, and that being made more accessible on YouTube and things like that. Mm-hmm. It's really, I think that helped also with people gaining visibility for this match and being like, Oh, Narita's back. Oh, he's having a banger with Ishii. Oh, it's for free. Let me check this out. You know? So I felt like this was part of a, a some of that groundswell of people being like new Japan is back. This was part of that movement and it, you know, the match delivered. So I'm not surprised at all. Yeah, the match was awesome. I, I loved that matchup. And yeah, it, it was very hard hitting. It was the exact definition of, you know, what a strong style fight of the year looks like. Um, people really, like you mentioned, with it being free, it got shared all over the place um, and got a ton of views. Um, very interesting. Some other matches here that did um, pretty well in the voting. Um, Eddie Kingston and Ishii from Capital Collision got 133 points. Tanahashi versus Kenta. Russell Kingdom 16 got 135. And I think that was one we were kind of questionable about because um, when you look at that match compared to maybe some of these other matches, it's not that kind of back and forth, never style, strong style fight. But they it's did a different a, style of violence. Yeah, they did a lot of crazy stuff. And I mean, Kento was pretty much out half the year <laughs> after what happened in that match. And then uh, Eddie Kingston versus Gabe Kidd from the Nemesis Tour. Um, got 113 points in that match. Super hard hitting. If you have not watched Eddie Kingston versus Gabe Kid, you need to go back and watch that matchup because that matchup was um, just super awesome there uh, towards the beginning of the grading period. So uh, a lot of really good uh, fights here to, to pick from. Yeah, I mean, I love the strong style fight of the year because it's us, again, highlighting violence. And so not every single one of these matches is going to get consideration for something like, say, match of the year but it's not going to be nominated for any other reason other than the fact that these matches are really hard hitting and they're very violent so i almost love that you can use these awards and the nominees as sort of like a guide um so if you haven't checked any of these matches out i highly recommend you go back like to me i I voted kingston gabe kid as my strong style fight of the year but being on strong, I just don't think it had enough traction or visibility to sort of get that recognition. But there's a lot of other sleepers here. Desperado and John Moxley, the death match was fantastic. Some of the uh, Kenta and Zack Sabre from the G1 is got to be up there as yeah, well. Yeah, Kenta was slapping the crap out of Zack in that match. Yeah, so I mean, there's there's a lot of really great stuff here. Kingston and Ishii, Suzuki Ishii. So, um, but. Ishii and Renderita really struck a chord with a lot of people. So that's your fight of the year. Yeah. So next up, we have the junior match of the year. And a lot of great candidates are top three in third place with 215 points. We have the best of the Super Junior 28 match between El Desperado and Hiromu Takahashi. Coming in second place, we have best of the super junior 29 finals between El Desperado and Hiromu Takahashi. And then in first place with 297 points, 
your winner for junior match of the year, El Fantasmo versus Robbie Eagles, best of the Super Juniors 29. Man, what a, a great uh, set of winners right there. But yeah, ELP, Robbie Eagles from best Super Juniors this past year in Cork and Hall was just absolutely incredible. Like that was a match that a lot of people are even considering like for their match of the year. I feel like yeah. um, in, in Super Juniors the last couple of years, there always seems to be like that one match I feel like kind of stands out and really grabs people's attention. And this year it was Eagles and ELP. And, you know, a lot of people I think were really tuned into the tournament this year because you had a lot of uh, new competitors. You had a lot of people coming in from a- you had Wheeler, Utah coming in from AEW. You had Lindemann, you had Chris Bay, you had all these people coming in. And so there were a lot of eyes on the tournament this year. And then when people saw what Phantasmo and Eagles did, it really blew them away. And, you know, obviously these guys really hadn't been in a rivalry this past year, but the backstory is there with, you know, Eagles being a part of Bullet Club and then getting, uh, leaving Bullet Club and being replaced by ELP. Um, and so the whole back history there um, really kind of added, if you were following them and following that rivalry, I think it added to this match as well. I think it was just a really big moment for both of these guys, and they absolutely killed it. You know, we had kind of joked going into this year's grading period that it was going to be the year of the junior because we not only had last year's December Super Junior tournament included in the the grading period, but we also had the return to the more traditional date of May slash June for Best of the Super Junior. So we had two Super Junior tournaments in this uh, grading period, and it's really saying a lot that ELP versus Eagles was not just the best junior match of the year, but it was also the best junior match amongst all of the best of the super junior matches in two consecutive years. Mm-hmm. That's a huge high honor. It's almost maybe in some ways higher than some of the other years that we've had the junior match of the year for, you know, our award. So uh, for me, this was an easy five-star classic and I don't say it lightly. I'm pretty, I think I'm a little bit more uh, judicious with my grading than Jeremy. In most cases, I'm a little bit more, uh, you're more of a stickler. Yeah. I'm more of a stickler a little <laughs> bit. So, and uh, we were both blown away by this match with every good reason to be. And I felt like this for both of these guys, it was their finest hour in 2022. And, yeah, if you haven't seen Phantasmo versus Robbie Eagles, you owe it to yourself to go out of your way and see it. I mean, the only the only other match I've seen with ELP that I think might be as good or better is the match with uh I love the match with him and Rocky Romero from Oh yeah, from twenty nineteen. Yeah. Yeah, it's really great, but uh, this one might have trumped it a little bit, so Yeah, and then here, you know, we we're talking about Desperado and his year. Yeah, he was on here a lot with a lot of, you know, high point totals. So, you know, coming getting the second and third place matchups with Hiromu, uh Despi did from you know, the 29 finals this year, and then from the uh, Best Superiors 28 uh, last year. Um, also, he had the match with uh, Lindemann from this year that had 103 points. Um, let's see, did he have any other match? Oh, the Robbie Eagles match from this year had a, a 77 points. So, yeah, Desperado uh, had a really good year between uh, both Super Juniors. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that match with him and Lindemann from Super Juniors 29. I wish it would have done a little bit better but that's okay uh i mean it's kind of hard to top those two hiromu matches that that those two had together in both tournaments so but uh yeah that's gonna be it. uh that's gonna do it for junior match of the year 
So next up, tag team match of the year. So coming in a third place with 122 points, Desperado and Wato versus Hiromu and Ishimori from Battle Autumn. So that was the the incredible tag match. That was the build up to the the four way. Then in second place with 127 points from Forbidden Door, Minoru Suzuki, Chris Jericho, and Sammy Guevara versus Eddie Kingston, Shota Umino, and Wheeler Utah. And then coming in first place with 500 points, FTR versus Aussie Open from Royal Quest 2. Yeah, uh, FTR, you know, um, for any kind of criticisms that we may have lobbied their way at any point in time, namely Dax Harwood, uh, you can't put aside the fact that they are absolutely, unmistakably one of the greatest tag teams not just today, but probably of all time. And uh, for my money, Aussie Open is one of the only other teams, you know, wrestling today that I think holds a candle to them or might even be on the same level as them. And there was a lot of hype and a lot of anticipation for this match. And this was one where we waited all those weeks for it to make tape. And I, I feel like if it had made tape when it first happened, mm-hmm. it even have it might have even had more notoriety than it ended up having um, because it, it wasn't as like viewable or accessible as some of the like FTR matches in AEW or the ROH matches with like the Briscoes, but make no mistake about it. This was every bit as good as anything else that FTR did throughout the calendar year. And, you know, Aussie open had that velocities match that might even be better than this. One. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is crazy. But uh, this match was just, it blew everybody that watched it away. And I mean, the voting was unmistakable. 432 first place points, 500 overall. Um, I mean, they kind of just mopped the, the competition. This was a, a heavy, heavy landslide. And I, I don't think since we've started doing tag team of the year, we've had an overwhelming favorite like this. So it, it goes to show you like just how well received and loved this match was. Yeah, some very interesting matchups because none of these were like really like your traditional style matchups. Um, you know, they weren't your straight up normally tag team kind of stuff. Um, I mean, nothing was really. I mean, you had the Aussie Open match that was in Royal Quest, and then you had the Forbidden Door match, which was six man tag, which shows you how much people love that matchup. And then this the random, you know, incredible tag match with Despy and Wanto versus Roman Ishimori. Like you would normally wouldn't get a match like that. Um, each year and so kind of very three unique matchups here for different reasons yeah and i feel like some of the other stuff too that was listed on the tag team match of the year was kind of in that same way it was sort of like there's a lot of unique tag team matches like the um the anniversary event where you had the generational match with tanahashi okada and fujinami versus suzuki and fujiwara and zack saber it didn't get a lot of love, but that was definitely one that was really great. It's not your traditional New Japan style tag team match, or even like uh, Congo versus Lij or Tanahashi and Okada versus Kiyomiya and Muto from Wrestle Kingdom Day Three, the the Noah crossover show. So there seemed to be a lot of sort of unique tag team matches, like the one from Forbidden Door, and there was a lot of crossover with New Japan and other groups throughout the year as well. 
And we were we were pretty close to including a couple of those um, historic crossover mixed tags as well. They just mm-hmm. barely missed the cut. So, yeah, I think this category is going to be a lot of fun for this coming up year, just based off of like the stuff Catch Two Two's doing, Aussie Open, uh, Bishamon. I feel like this category is going to be really strong this calendar year. Yeah, definitely. But uh, there you have it. Uh, <laughs> not that it was in any doubt. FTR versus Aussie Open. Hopefully we get a rematch this year, um, you know, whether it's here or, you know, somewhere else. Yeah, FTR seems to be kind of up in flux of what their future looks like. And they just dropped all their titles. There's rumors that their contract is up in the spring and they might be leaving AEW. So we'll see well, what who happens. Knows? Vince is back. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but um, next up, we have the excursion match of the year. One of my favorite categories. And we had literally in. Nothing but incredible nominees this year, but your top three in third place with 183 points. We have the Elite versus the United Empire from AEW on August 31st. In second place with 202 points, we have the United Empire versus Death Triangle from AEW Dynamite August 24th. And then your winner with 251 points overall. The death match between El Desperado and Jun Kasai from Despi Taka Taichi Mania just tap out September 12th. That is your winner, Desperado versus Jun Kasai. Yeah, that matchup just got uh, a ton of buzz online from the gifts and videos that New Japan was setting out and just how bloody and wild and crazy that matchup you know there's so many great pictures of these guys um, all bloody all tore up from that death match and that match really i think elevated el desperado in the eyes of a lot of fans this year it, it, was, it was just an absolutely nuts like pretty much every spot that did that match i was like oh Alec, why are you doing this oh my gosh like it was such a crazy <laughs> uh matchup here and i think with everything else it's kind of like we were talking about on the preview show with Will Ospreay. I'm sure a, a ton of votes got split between all his matchups. I mean, you had to choose between Osprey and Oku, um, the Elite versus United Empire, United Empire versus Death Triangle, Osprey versus Ricky Knight Jr., Osprey versus uh, Speedball Mike Bailey. So Osprey again just had so many incredible matchups. You had to, you had to choose uh, between all of those, and so it seems like he, he you know some votes got split but the top 2 for Osprey were the the match against uh Death Triangle from the Trios tournament from August 24th and then the matchup with the Elite also from the Trios tournament in uh August 31st but i mean i don't think you you could have gone wrong with any of Osprey's uh, choices but, but those Trios matches were probably the most widely viewed easy accessible and they were just absolutely awesome matchups yeah, and I mean, like we said at the beginning uh, for this category, everything that was on here was top-notch. Doki and Taichi was maybe one of the most emotional matches I watched all year. Akira versus Kid was like the coming-out party for both guys that mm-hmm. we didn't know and really set the stage for both of them in 2022. Moxley and Lawler was a bloody, wild, crazy match in Defy, and if it had happened on, like, say, AEW, probably would have done much better in the standings, but you know, the visibility, a lot of people didn't know about it. Doki, Desperado, and Jun Kasai and Hanma, that probably would have done better had Desperado and Jun Kasai not taken place later in the year. <laughs> kind of, I feel like the Despi Jun Kasai match kind of overtook the other just tap out matches on this list as being like the favorite. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, 
Oh, Aussie Open and Velocities is another one where it's like, uh, I don't know if more people would have, like, if more people would have seen that as well as Osprey and Oku, I don't know if they don't win. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's how good they are. And Osprey and so, Oku did um, pretty decent there. Got 180 points, just three points short of coming in third place. Yeah, it's a, it's a Dave Meltzer five-star rated <laughs> match. <laughs> and it didn't win. <laughs> It's crazy. <laughs> I mean, it kind of is kind of not. It's not like we put all of our stock in what Dave's opinions are, but I mean, you know, it's a barometer and it's a good uh, gauge and tool. And it's like, it's one of the greatest matches he's ever seen and it didn't win. But um, I guess we should throw some roses at Desperado and June Kasai. That match not only got a lot of buzz, but like it had years and years of build and buzz leading into it. Mm-hmm. And, those guys did some of the craziest shit that I've ever seen in, in a wrestling match. Yeah, it was so wild. And then also, too, like they had they drew a great crowd. I think that was probably one of the best, like, um, drawing Takataichi shows they've done. Yeah, it absolutely is. And, and make no mistakes about it. It's not like there hasn't been crazier things that happen in wrestling. I mean, you know, in Freedoms and Big Japan and GCW and yada yada and CZW, the list goes on and on. I'm sure there's been wilder things that have happened, but these guys told a really a long form story. They crescendoed it and paid it off here. And there was so much investment. It wasn't just violence for the sake of violence, but there was a reason behind everything that was happening. And it really it was it was beautiful. It was crazy. The post match was also incredible. And like we said during the um preview to these awards is it's not always when it comes to excursion match it's not just the best match that happened outside of new japan but it's generally the best match that had the most platform the most eyes and resonated the most and you know so that's what happened here with this one even even if hypothetically you voted for something else that you thought was better this is the thing that kind of captured the public's imagination so yeah, I think really, you know, big shout to them, too, because it's a, a JTO show. Like, if you want to watch this legally, you had to pay extra pay-per-view price on New Japan World, and that beat out, you know, two AEW matches that are, you know, free on TV. If you have cable, you can watch that easily or sling or whatever, and so they uh, surpassed those matchups. Well, another thing, too, I know you mentioned Osprey splitting votes, but I mean United Empire in trios matches a week apart definitely split their votes. Yeah. <laughs> um, hypothetically, like let's say if that if there was no tournament and one of those matches just happened to take place in like let's just say it was Elite versus United Empire because of the cachet of it being Kenny and and Will on opposite ends, plus you know the Aussie Open versus you know um, Young Bucks sort of thing as well and it was for the title and there was no tournament and it just happened on free tv and then there was no other title tournament matches to kind of distract from it it probably could have won this award very easily but because these happened a week apart from each other and you had people like like me who thought the death triangle united empire match was even better and both of them were all-time classics Mm -hmm. it was tough you know what i mean yeah and now they've got a best of seven series going and people are like trying to argue which is the best of those seven. And like, that's completely apart from the inaugural tournament. <laughs> that's a place that was blowing our mind. That was part of these awards. It's, it's crazy shit. Like, yeah. <laughs> and Kenny wrestled 
Will Ospreay one of the greatest matches in the history of wrestling in the Tokyo Dome in between, you know. Yeah, after that wild matches. false count anywhere match. <laughs> he's about to have a ladder match this Wednesday. It's so crazy. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. We're, yeah. spo- we're spoiled with great wrestling. <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, congrats to uh, Despy and Jungasai, the excursion match of the year. That will take us now. We have uh, two more categories here left. So our second to last category is the angle of the year. So, you know, the best angle that happened in New Japan and pro wrestling. So coming in third place with 220 points, Shibata calling an audible at Wrestle Kingdom 16. So, no, that was a matchup with uh, Ren Narita that was supposed to be um, under... um, UWFI rules kind of a catch exhibition matchup and then Shibata you know called audible and said no nah, we're gonna have a, a regular matchup and he started kicking was, Narita in the head <laughs> was he shooting or was he working brother we'll, we'll never know <laughs> um, then second place 226 points Tama becomes a real good guy in alliance with Hontai so this was kind of one of the the peak moments in the feud between um, Bullet Club and God, where um, Tama becomes a good guy. He puts on the Hontai Lion Mark T-shirt and fully embraces uh, the good side. And then coming in first place with two hundred and eighty nine points, Kenny Omega challenges Will Osprey, and this snuck in right towards the end. Of the grading period at a historic crossover, and I mean, we saw what this <laughs> angle produced uh, just a few days ago at Wrestle Kingdom 17. But man, it was such a you know there had been a lot of rumors about Kenny and Will facing off, and we saw what happened in the trios tournament. But then you know the whole brawl out thing happened. And I think there's a lot of a question of whether or not this Osprey Omega match was going to happen, and then. Osprey beats Umino, the lights go out, we get the video from Kenny Omega, and, you know, it was the hottest angle of the year that built to the hottest match of this year. Um, so, I mean, it's just a great moment, you know, the crowd, ooing, aahing, you know, big just elation across the wrestling world for Kenny Omega being back in New Japan and challenging Will Ospreay. Yeah, I mean, that's cool, fuck all that. Go and do yourself a favor and watch Fred Rosser <laughs> versus West Coast Wrecking Crew. <laughs> um, that was my true. Um, when was that? Was like was that in May or like June? Uh, I think it was in May, I believe. Or might might have been, been end of April. So it happened in April, but it was um, it was actually aired. Let me see here. May third. Oh yeah, just before my birthday, May thirteenth, twenty twenty-two. Do yourself a favor, even if you don't watch the West Coast Wrecking Crew versus Fred Rosser match, watch the post-match angle. There were eighteen points. So you get what's eighteen divided by three? I don't know. Uh, six. Six. Mm-hmm. Okay, six smart individuals <laughs> <laughs> that, that voted Lawler versus Rosser to shave his own head as the angle of the year. And you folks were correct. The rest of y'all that voted for Kenny Omega, you know, uh, I'm going to give you one of these. You didn't, you can't see what I'm doing, but I'm doing the thing they do in the Italian movies. Right? <laughs> no, I'm just playing. But um, Kenny Omega versus 
challenges Will Ospreay. That was a moment that everyone's always going to remember. Uh, the visual of like Kenny, you know, Kenny showing up on the screen and Will, you know, hanging on the ropes and his back to, you know, he's facing the screen and they got that shot with his back and they're, it's just, it's, it's really epic. And it, you know, echoes the sentiments of what happened all those years ago when Chris Jericho showed up after a U.S. title defense from Kenny Omega versus, um, I think, Trent Beretta. And it was just very similar. And not just the audacity of Kenny to show up on the screen and challenge him, but the level of promo that he cut in Japanese and all the hype and anticipation that sort of followed it. I mean, it was something that, really led to not just a legendary match, but also uh, a huge boost in business. I mean, we saw the increase in, you know, people getting New Japan World. It's not all them, but it, it was a huge boost to the business, especially on the Western side of the hemisphere and all the hype and anticipation that came from this um, this angle. So I'm not surprised that it was the angle of the year. There was some other really great stuff here, but Nothing really seemed to elevate New Japan's status in the minds and imaginations of the Western audience more than the idea of Kenny Omega returning to take on, you know, the new best bout machine in Will Ospreay is really great stuff. Yeah, and I will second you on the Lawler um, angle. I mean, that was just a really just kind of great old school angle, you know, making this man shave his own head and pretty much beg for a title match. No, remember what it was? They were they said he had to shave his head and they started to shave his head and he grabbed the clippers from them and started shaving his his own head and he's like, "Can I have a match now?" Can yeah. I have a match now? And he's like and he like fucked up and he was like bleeding cuz like he did it too hard. Yeah. Uh, and then like And Tom's like, um, "No." <laughs> yeah, and Tom Waller starts eating his hair. It's yeah. disgusting and then he's like, "No." <laughs> It's really great if you haven't seen it, but um, all this stuff was great. It, it is funny. Shibata shows up on here twice, and he did really good in the point standings in both cases. Like, I love Shibata as much as the ne- next guy, but, like, we've had him win this award many times, and every time he comes out, like, people fawn over themselves regardless. Like, he just – he's got that connection with the audience. Yeah. I must say, you know, it does feel good again to have Kenny Omega winning uh, a year-end award on, <laughs> on, on this show. Why does it feel good? He's paying you money? No, it's just good, you know. <laughs> I have Kenny back. <laughs> and next year, or this year, he's going to win match of the year. He's on Dynamite all the time. He's, you have him. He's going to win, uh, you know, guys, you know, the year. <laughs> He's probably not going to qualify for these awards, bro. I, I don't know. Well, well, he definitely match of the year. He's, he's going to qualify for that, but he he might. Yeah, he'll qualify for match of the year. But other than that, I don't. I mean, wrestler like, of the year, newcomer of the year, <laughs> uh, excursion match. You know, he, he qualifies now. He's not going to have to be on the excursion match of the year. FTR didn't even make it into tag team of the year. There's no way we're putting Kenny Omega. Kenny Omega's going to like stick around and like work a prolonged schedule. Like, We'll see. You know, he's already got Jeff Cobb on his tails. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, All right. So let's uh, jump into the final category for these awards. The news story of the year. A lot of big news stories. A lot of controversial things that occurred this year. But the top three 
news stories as voted by you, the listener. In third place, 242 points, Kota Ibushi's contract status controversy. Coming in second place with 305 points, AEW and New Japan Pro Wrestling's Forbidden Door pay-per-view. And then coming in first place with 362 points, the passing of Antonio Inoki, the founder of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Yeah, I mean, that was definitely a, a story that kind of shocked the whole wrestling world. I mean, you saw so many people kind of coming out and talking about uh, Noki um, after his passing. I mean, it was such a, a story. I mean, also, you know, he wasn't, you know, a current office member or really a part of New Japan. But, um, you know, towards the end, you know, right before he passed away, he was, he was going to be announced as, you know, the legacy uh, chairman of New Japan Pro Wrestling and also, you know, Creating New Japan Pro Wrestling um, So much of New Japan Ties back to Inoki and if you haven't Yet go back and listen to our Tribute episode that we did here On this show um, after he Passed uh, on this feed um, That when we look back on his Career which we know couldn't even Really fully do in the three hours we had um, I mean just the legacy That Inoki leaves is, is Just so great I mean without him we wouldn't be Doing the show right now um, so definitely the, the number one news story of his passing. Yeah, like you mentioned, we did a tribute episode uh, earlier this year. We had both Justin Nipper as well as um, Sam. what's wrong with <laughs> yeah Mike Sempervivi on the show. And I mean, I have to say that um, as saddened as I was by the news of the passing of Antonio Inoki. It was really fantastic getting an opportunity to pay tribute and relive some of the memories uh, of Antonio Inoki, who is, in fact, one of my all-time favorite wrestlers. And I do feel like the work we did on that episode is probably amongst the best work we've ever done on this podcast and some of the things that I'm most proud of. So if you have never listened to that episode, I would highly recommend you go back and give that a listen. Uh, when you get a chance, but uh, it is no surprise that that was the new story of the year. I mean, one of the two or three most pivotal and fundamental and foundational uh, personalities in all of the last half decade of wrestling, Antonio Noki passes away, and it's hard to, no matter how big of a new story, it's sort of hard to be a bigger new story than that. And all the ties that he has, for better or for worse, Antonio Inoki, you know, is the, you know, the foundation and the fundamental basis of New Japan Pro Wrestling and everything that it stands for. So, yeah, and then um, Forbidden Door, we saw what a big deal that was for that to finally happen. We know the story of the history between AEW and New Japan not working together, and then Harold May getting out of there, then Obari comes in, and now. They're working with AW and just how how quickly that relationship really blossomed this year. And then you'll see in some ways, yeah, in some ways, <laughs> with the announcing of this pay per view and then the, the pay per view actually happening, even though it was kind of snake bitten with some injuries and COVID and travel delays and stuff like that, um, ended up being an incredible pay per view show of the year. You know, won the show of the year here on this uh, award show. Um, so yeah, big moment there. And then yeah, Bushi's contract status. I mean, that's something we've been talking about literally. All year with Abushi and all the tweets and, you know, mentioning about Yakuza and the stuff that happened with his mom. And then, 
you know, New Japan saying he's coming back and then he's fine. And it's, it's a, the whole story, the whole back and forth, whether or not he's coming back. And we still don't know whether or not he's coming back because they were talking to him um, during that um, Anoki tribute show with Lawler versus Shibata. It's a he said, he said, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, the only other news story that wasn't in the top three that got a lot of votes was Stardom's uh, historic crossover pay-per-view as well as the inaugural IWGP women's title introduced. Um, coming off Wrestle Kingdom, it's hard to know how important that title is going to be. <laughs> but then again, with the uh, introduction of Mercedes Monet, uh, Monet, Monet, Monet. Man, fuck all that. <laughs> Sasha Banks. <laughs> Um, you know, maybe they're going to push it a little bit more, but uh, the the idea that there will be more crossover between Stardom and New Japan is very exciting and something that resonated with a lot of people as well in the vote. So that is that's it. That's going to do it for the awards this year. Yeah. So once again, thank everybody who participated in the awards this year and voted. Thanks for making it a great award. We'll be sharing out the the award graphics on our Twitter account at ki strong Make sure you uh, share those and like those as well. Shout out to Jeremy. He designed the new um, templates that we will be using this year for, uh, you know, the award templates to let, you know, the wrestler, the marks, I mean, the wrestlers uh, know (laughs) that they've won (laughs) (laughs) these awards. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. All right, let's uh, talk about some uh, Wrestle Kingdom 17 Fallout stuff that's uh, been coming up and some other uh, bigger news stories. Um, so first thing, uh, New Japan announced uh, last Saturday night that Wrestle Kingdom 17 pulled in record numbers for their NJPW World streaming service. So the company stated that 92,409 unique worldwide users watched the show last Wednesday with 30% of the viewership, nearly 28,000 coming from outside of the country and watching the English feed. And they say that overall, the overall number is a record for the service, which has been in operation since 2014. And and correct me if I'm wrong, it's my understanding that that 92,000 unique worldwide users was live. They're just talking about live viewers. Right, just live, not people like, for example, you who woke up and watched it. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I don't like the tone of the way you say you people. You people. That, what do you that, mean by you that, people? That woke up at 9 a.m., 10 a.m., didn't get up like the rest of us at 3 a.m. The real. <laughs> I don't like the way you say us. <laughs> what do you mean by us, Jeremy? Um, but yeah, for people who woke up and watched it later, next day or whatever, that was an encounter in this 92,000. This 92,000 was just people who were watching live. So you definitely more than that overall watch the show. Yeah, I mean, that's very impressive just considering how big some of these Wrestle Kingdom events have been in the past and, you know, how this company sort of been on a downturn due to a plethora of reasons name mostly namely the pandemic (laughs) and everything that was entailed with that um 
And you really have to point to, for at least for the Western audience, two big things. I think it really comes down to Omega Oka or Omega Osprey and the you know anticipated introduction of Mercedes Monet. Yeah, yeah, definitely two big moments there and brought in a lot of eyes from the Western audience. So yeah, great stuff there. Um, then also we got the full card revealed for the NJPW versus Noah Wrestle Kingdom 17 show that will be happening January 21st in Yokohama Arena. And so the major theme for this show is going to be LIJ versus Congo, which we saw the, the angle that happened at Wrestle Kingdom 17 in Tokyo Dome. And then there was also a press conference that happened that announced these matchups. So the main event going to be Tetsuya Naito versus Kano, so leader versus leader there. Then we'll have Shingo Takagi versus uh, Kachishiko Nakajima. Sonata should be leader versus should be leader. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sonata versus Minoba Soya. Hiromu Takahashi versus Hajime Ohara. Bushi versus Tadusuke. Kazushika Okada and Togi Makabe versus Kaito Kiyomiya, Kiyomiya and Yoshiki Inamura. Risuke Taguchi, Master Wato, and Tiger Vass versus I'm a Amakusa. I'm guessing how you say that. I'm not sure. Don't, Amakusa. Amakusa. I don't know these these Noah names. Uh, Junta Makawaki and Alejandro. <laughs> Miyawaki. <laughs> Miyawaki. Uh, El Esperado versus Yohei. Hiroshi Tanahashi, Toriyano, Soshi Kojima, and Takashi Sagura will take on Marufuji, Kenta, El Fantasmo, and Gato. Tomohiro Ishii and Oscar Lube will take on Masakita Mita and Daiki Inaiba. Aniba. And then uh, Kosei Fujita and Ray Oyo will take on Yatsutaka Yano and Taichi Ozawa. Um, So I think those last two matches you mentioned are just pre-show matches. Mm -hmm. And the uh, eight-man tag between Tanahashi's team versus uh, Marafuji's team is going to be essentially like the show opener. Right. And we had a question here from at MCW111986. What are your thoughts on Wrestle Kingdom Night 2, LJ vs. Congo? Do you see a 3-2 split for NJPW, 4-1, or even an unlikely 5-0? Will the show have cheering? That's a great question. Um, I, I do want to say earlier today I got around to watching the uh, press conference, which was essentially a press conference that, mainly focused on the LIJ versus Congo feud. Uh, And obviously we're getting five singles matches between those two factions at the top of the card. So it's sort of like an elimination series almost basically. Um, I will say I was a little disappointed that there wasn't any sort of English um, translation. That's something I also complained about on the previous uh, Wrestle Kingdom press conference episode that we did. But um, the nice thing they did post a, and I have this on our Twitter if you want to check it out. There is a, a summary of what each individual person in the press conference said in order on the NJPW 1972 website under the news section. So you can use that and follow along with the approximately like 45 minute. Um, press conference to kind of get an idea of what's going on here and everything like that. And there was a few interesting things that were stated. We do have a special guest uh, coming on next week, Justin Nipper, who does overseas PR for Noah to kind of help us navigate uh, some of the intricacies between these two groups and 
that's going to be a really fun time, you know, kind of shooting the shit with Justin because we've had him on the show before. We like him a lot. But um, as far as the overall show goes, it is going to be interesting um, because it's not just LIJ versus Congo. It's also New Japan versus uh, Noah. And so the question is, like, how are they going to split it across the board? Is it just going to be like a is all the emphasis on Noah and New Japan? Is all the emphasis on LIJ and Congo? Are they going to split the difference? Maybe, hypothetically, maybe if you were to, and I'm not saying they're, saying they're going to do this, maybe you give Congo the upper hand and you give them the, the win three to two. That might be a kind of cool, unique thing to do to maybe fuel future business between the two groups down the road. Mm-hmm. But then you have like New Japan win most of the undercard matches. So at the end of the day, it's still like, who really you know, won? Yeah, who really won? <laughs> that might be like some some uh, you know carnyism sort of thing, but we've seen how New Japan. I mean, just look at the show they did last year. New Japan doesn't always work well with others when it comes to you know domestic uh, wrestling companies, especially the fact that Noah is one of the or is the largest company in the cyber agent group, and we've heard reports that these. They, they view Cyber Agent as a major threat and that whole thing. I'm a little surprised that they're even doing a cross-promoted show to begin with. Yeah, and same here. I, I thought for sure that they weren't going to work with Noah again this year. Yeah, me too. So I'm not sure what to expect here. I also, given the fact that I'm not the biggest Noah expert, I don't think Jeremy is either. It's hard for me to kind of give you accurate predictions. And it's one of the reasons we're having Justin come on next week. And that way he can geek out over the wrestlers. That <laughs> and we can tell him why he's wrong and why, you know, Jimmy uh, Hall. why Bushi's going to beat the brakes off to do to, da- <laughs> to Dasuke. <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce his name. So yeah, so that should be a fun show still. We'll give our full kind of preview and predictions for that uh, next week with uh, Justin. I don't know that the show is going to have cheering, though. I don't think they made an announcement on that. Yeah, I know New Japan, they're trying to move forward with the, the Wrestle Kingdom 17 Tokyo Dome rules. Um, so I guess depending maybe where that building is, where Yokohama Arena is, and how the government feels, there, there might be cheering for it. So we'll, we'll stay tuned. There hasn't been an official announcement, though. I'll look uh, at the schedule. Okay. Uh, while you're doing that, we did get um, dates and venues announced for the New Japan Cup and the 51st uh, anniversary show. For what it's worth, it does not say cheering event, and most of the events that are cheering do specifically state it. So, Gotcha. Um, so, New Japan Cup tournament will kick off uh, from Corkin Hall on Sunday, March 5th. And will run until the finals on Tuesday, March 21st from Nagoya. Um, Then the anniversary show will be happening Monday, March 6th from Ota Ward General Gymnasium. So a little weird there that the anniversary show is happening uh, the day after the New Japan Cup starts. So I'm guessing that anniversary show is maybe going to be part of the New Japan Cup. Um, but we have uh, less events here this year, so I'm kind of curious to see how the feel is going to play out. Yeah, I mean, um, we've kind of seen a little bit of overlap in the past, so I'm not that excited or that surprised by it. But um, you could be correct. They have had tournament matches during the anniversary event in the past out of necessity as well. So that's possible as well. 
Yeah, and so I'm trying to look here on just kind of comparing the the amount of events in a previous this is, year. This is less than like the last three years, the amount of nights for sure. But there's a lot of speculation. Does that mean that it's going to be a smaller field? I mean, it'll definitely probably be a smaller field than last year, which was the all-time high for participants in the tournament. But we've seen an expanded field over the past few years and in the ancient past, it used to be just a 16 man tournament. Mm -hmm. We've seen spec. I've seen speculation online that if they include enough tournament matches each night, they could still do hypothetically like a 32 man tournament. If that's what they were aiming to do. Um, We have seen recently that there's like an edict or a mandate from the company and sort of we've, we're seeing this in the verbiage and the language that they're using uh, in their public posts, especially from t- uh, Takami Obari, where they're talking about quality over quantity. So right. that might lend itself to the idea that they're going to have either less tournament matches or all tournament matches, but less than we've seen in the past few years. And that's what I'm guessing either way. Yeah, so in 2016, there were 16 entrants, three events. 2017, there were 16 entrants, eight events. In 2018, 16 entries, uh, nine events. 2019, 32 entrants with 12 events. In 2020, 32 entrants, nine events. 21, 30 entrants with 14 events. And last year, we had 48 entries with 15 events. Though this year, we have 11 events. So it'll be interesting to see yeah, what uh, number of entrants we'll get this year. There is still a way you could do like a 32 or 30 man tournament and pretty much have the 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 shows be nothing but tournament matches almost exclusively, which that would be dope quantity and quality, most likely. Yeah. But don't be surprised if they are going back to a 16 man format. Yeah. Which I mean, I think I'd be fine with that. I would be, too. So next thing here, WWE is interested in Tamatonga and Hikaleo. So there's been uh, rumors coming out that, uh, yeah, WWE is interested in both these brothers here. Uh, New Japan sources are saying that uh, Tamatonga's NJPW contract is up in a matter of weeks. Um, so some questions here from MCW111986. Are the rumors of Tama WWE feasible or just speculation? What do you see as a future for Jay White? Hikaleo seems to be the one people believe is leaving, not him. Well, you know, um, several years ago when there was the great exodus, and we're talking about like 2015, 2016. Yeah. When there was the great exodus of Western talent to WWE from New Japan, most of their uh, contracts were up around this time, I believe, at the you know, based on some of the comments he's made in social media and on uh, podcasts, Tamatonga talked about how his contract was nearly up around the same time as Carl Anderson and those others back then. Now I can't tell you that I know the ins and outs of Tamatonga's contract status, but historically this is around the same time that they do have contract negotiations. There's a reason why they call it contract season uh, for a new Japan talent. So is it feasible? It's absolutely feasible and probably highly likely that this report, especially considering that like the sources are like Sean Ross Sapp and others, and we haven't seen anyone refuting it, that these are probably likely truths. Now, I'm not saying that Tamatonga or Hikaleo are going to leave necessarily, 
but um, we've seen stranger things happen. We've seen a lot of people right. jump, and we are in the middle of a of a wrestling war where people's worth, especially talent, is at an all time high premium. And would I be surprised? Hypothetically, if either Hikaleo or Tamatonga or both decided to go work in WWE, not at all. Again, things are changing day in and day out. And with the recent uh, announcements of the you know ongoing business with WWE and Vince McMahon and all the board shakeup and what an uh, impending sale, I don't know. That might also impact someone's anticipation or desire to jump ship as well. Right, and we definitely know something's happening because Hikaleo versus Jay White is going to be loser leaves Japan. Um, so one of those guys is is leaving, and so I don't know if maybe they they kind of leaked that story, maybe just speculate that oh Hikaleo could be leaving too, just to add some more legitimacy to that match. So we kind of get off the scent that Jay's leaving, or maybe Hikaleo really is leaving, and that's the way to kind of get him out of the company. Um, so it could be either or kind of situation. Tamatonga. I mean, he's. Bro, they could all leave. <laughs> that's that's true. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's that's something that no one else is saying. But like, I thought to myself, like, what's stopping all of them from leaving? I mean, nothing stopped AJ and Gallows and Anderson and, and Nakamura <laughs> from all leaving at the same time. Right. <laughs> and uh, Finn Balor did, did post that bull club picture today that you uh, retweeted on our account. So maybe more speculation there. And we know I didn't do that. <laughs> I don't know who retweeted that. It wasn't me. That's probably you. All right. Well, I guess we're, we're getting hacked then. <laughs> I don't. I don't be tweeting shit. <laughs> um. <laughs> and uh, Tama, we know he's good friends of Carl Anderson. He could put in a good word for uh, Triple H while Triple H has a uh, power for right now, um, and, and get Tama in. So. Well, we know that they've had interest in Tamatong in the past and bringing him over. And like we mentioned in our awards, this is a guy that rose his stock quite a bit in this company. His in-ring, in-ring work has never been better. His look has never been better. His character work has never been better. His promos at an all-time high. Why wouldn't they be interested in him? You know what I mean? Right. And Hikaleo's six foot eight. He's a fucking giant. Dude, <laughs> and yeah. And their dad is Haku. The toughest man in the history of wrestling. And, and we're talking about someone who the old timers believe would beat up Danny Hodge and Harley <laughs> Race on the same night. So, <laughs> yeah, Vince, Vince would love Hikaleo. Vince gets back in great creative control. He's definitely bringing Hikaleo in. <laughs> Vince would love Hikaleo, and then Vince would fire Hikaleo, and then Vince would see Hikaleo again and forgot he ever fired him and want to hire him again. That's how, that's how much he is a Vince guy. <laughs> Why aren't we booking Hikaleo, pal? Vince, you fired him. Damn. You fired him. <laughs> well, goddamn, bring him back. Bring him back, pal. <laughs> uh, Give him to Paul. Put him in NXT. Give him to Sean. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta uh, do something with this kid um but yeah so who knows what's going on there when nobody knows yeah uh next thing uh njpw strong nemesis kicked I off thought it was called De- demesis like the demise i guess <laughs> <laughs> uh we had the kickoff of the nemesis tour this past uh saturday so we had uh two matchups first matchup uh ELP and Jay White defeated the team of Allen Angels and Hikaleo 847. So, kind of saw the continuation of uh, Jay White Hikaleo there. 
and then we had the strong. I was confused because Jay White came out with the world title, but he lost it on January 4th at the Tokyo Dome. So I think that there might be a storyline that we are not aware of where he stole Mm. the belt away from Okada and took it to the United States and the company's trying to keep it under wraps. Maybe Jay thinks that people in the States don't watch New Japan World and he's trying to pass himself off as champion. Actually, you know what? Maybe he didn't even steal it. Maybe he went to Belts by Dan and bought the replica <laughs> like he was Will Ospreay. Yeah. And we have a split title right now, but no one else seems to be talking about it. Only I seem to be, you know, Build, really building another uh, building another real world champion storyline. I'm just trying to dig for answers, <laughs> trying to do my own research. You know? <laughs> uh, and then the uh, the main event of the show was the strong survivor match, which would determine this was bullshit because they tried to. This is basically them stealing the iron survivor challenge match gimmick. Who who did it first? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so th- this was a uh, a battle royal, and then when it got down to the final four people, it turned into a elimination four way match, and the winner would be the number one contender for the strong title at Battle in the Valley. And, and they didn't announce any of the com- like participants before the match, so you had to like find out who it was when the match started. Yeah, um, so Kenta ended up uh, winning this matchup here, and the the final four were Kenta. Wheeler, Utah, Christopher Daniels, and Blake Christian. Um, so those were the final four other competitors. He had Akita, Guillermo Rojas, Mysterioso, Cody Chun, Mascot Arada, uh, Bateman, Blake Christian, Jacob Brera, J.R. Kratos, uh, Jacob Austin Young, Adrian Quest. Um, I think yeah, I think that was everybody. So yeah, so final four, Kenta, Utah, Daniels, and Blake Christian. Now the thing that sucked here was going down the stretch, Jared Kratos was a man, he was a house of fire, throwing everybody out, and just at the last minute, Blake Christian, Kenta, Wheeler, Utah, and others eliminated Jared Kratos. Kratos is losing his shit. All of the referees are focused on Jared Kratos, and while this is going on, DKC eliminates Christopher Daniels and puts himself in the final four. Christopher Daniels, being a smart man who's watched Royal Rumble 1997 many <laughs> times, realized that the referees didn't call anything. They didn't see it. He rolls his happy ass back into the ring, eliminates DKC in front of a referee, and the referees announce that he is in the Final Four. I have to imagine that this probably is leading, because of his affiliation with the LA Dojo, there will be some sort of program between DKC and Christopher Daniels, potentially leading to the return of Yuya Yuimura to the strong brand to get come up and against Christopher Daniels. Yeah, that or maybe this is the the vehicle for DKC to graduate, and maybe you have uh, DKC versus Daniels at Battle in the Valley, and DKC comes out and um, graduated in his new gear, new gimmick going forward. How does that get Yumora over? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Umora doesn't need to get over from this. He can just come back and be over. But the final four, like you mentioned, Daniels, Blake Christian, Wheeler Utah, and Kenta. Kind of funny that you got three guys that work for Tony Khan and Kenta. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, some brother-brotherism going on there. But uh, ultimately, 
Uh, Daniels eliminated Blake Christian. Wheeler, Utah eliminated Christopher Daniels. It came down to Wheeler, Utah and Kenta. And after uh, some back and forth, Kenta was able to get Wheeler, Utah up for the go to sleep one, two, three, and established himself as the new number one contender for the strong open weight title. And they did make the announcement that this uh, title shot will be awarded at Battle in the Valley. So we have a strong open weight title defense between Fred Rosser and Kenta at whoa, Battle whoa, whoa. in the Valley. Whoa, Fred, Fred has to beat uh, Peter Avalon first. It, it might be Peter Avalon versus Kenta. That's true. I didn't think of that. Thank <laughs> you for the correction of the show. Just saying, you, know, you, you never know. PPA all no, day. No, you're right. Thank you for letting me know that Peter Avalon has a fighter's, you know, a, a puncher's chance against the great Fred Rosser. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so, yeah, fine, fine matchup there. So, interesting to see what's going to happen there with uh, Kenta going forward. But, uh, I guess we should jump in the news and talk about what's going on with New Japan of America and Strong. Yeah, so uh, following a Christmas Eve tweet from NJPW President Takami Obari indicating a change was coming to NJPW Strong and Hiroshi Tanahashi writing in his blog post that the show was coming to an end. Uh, Tanahashi does Japanese commentary for Strong, so they were saying that this was the last, the Nemesis tour was the last Recording, Obari further commented on the future on Strong on the 24th. Obari tweeted that Strong would be rebuilt in 2023. That was followed up this past Saturday um, in the blog post by Tanahashi, who wrote on Japanese, translated via Google to English. Hashtag NJPW Strong, which has been going on for two years, will come to an end with this recording. It seems that overseas tournaments will be announced in a different form in the future. And then on Sunday morning, Obari again commented on Twitter saying that the show will be rebuilt and focus on quality over quantity. And we had uh, several questions here um, about this. Uh, so Rambone Slam Pig says, what are your thoughts about what is coming next for NJPW Strong? Do you expect to see the talent who worked those shows become a big part of whatever Ring of Honor show comes to Honor Club or something else? The GWK21 says, you see ROH becoming the new Strong with it looking like Strong is over. Skywalker3030 says, what do you think happens to the NJPW Strong roster? And how much of NJPW USA content would the Strong streaming service have to contain for you to want to buy it? And then Hawaiian Punch BB says, with Strong looking like it's done, is the West Coast any talent scene going to suffer a bit without a pretty big show for a showcase what West Coast town are you going to miss? Wow. <laughs> a lot of questions, a lot of comments. Um, for those of you that heard that, uh, that <laughs> that's uh, our dog, Ziggy. And uh, yeah, he's getting tired of me podcasting. So he's <laughs> giving big yawns. But um, yeah, this is something that I've been very interested in. I've, been hitting the pavement, been doing some digging. I've talked to like no less than probably six or seven different individuals that we speak with, that we have contact with that normally, you know, would at least give us a little tidbit, a little something, something, a little taste, a little taste. And um, I, we were able to find out some information, but I mean, it wasn't very different from what we're already hearing based on what Tanahashi has said, what Obari has said. Um, obviously, connecting some dots. There was also reports 
earlier this year from friends over at Voices of Wrestling on their Patreon page talking about the future of the New Japan of America brand. Check that out. Uh, and then also there was a comment at the end of the last Ring of Honor pay-per-view when Tony Khan made the announcement that Ring of Honor would be picked up on Honor Club as opposed to any sort of other you know, television service or streaming service. And he did say that there'd be heavy involvement from New Japan and that announcements were forthcoming at the end of Wrestle Kingdom. So we haven't gotten an announcement yet as of the time of this recording, so we're not sure what that is. But I have to kind of assume that they're working out the kinks. But it sounds like this is kind of just speculation. So don't 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 go out there and saying <laughs> Josh Smith and Jeremy Donovan and keeping it strong style reported because we're not reporting anything. If I had something to report, maybe I would. But, you know, we're not even newsbreakers on this page anyways. It sounds like there is some sort of partnership that is taking, and this is just kind of from all the sources that I just mentioned. You can go look at it for yourself. It sounds like there's some sort of partnership between Ring of Honor, owned by Tony Khan, slash, you know, their connection with AEW, and New Japan of America. We do know that New Japan has, you know, based on what vow reported has been unhappy with the production of their u.s product as we on this show have um criticized time and time again especially for the Mm pay-per-views but also for new japan strong and they've been looking for a distribution and production partner um and you know you look at some of obari's comments and he kind of said like they're not just looking at something to get them over during a pandemic era, but they want something that is a quality, not just quantity. And you look at everything that AEW has done and ring of honor has done, and there's no denying that they're top notch quality across the board, even with those ROH pay-per-views. So sounds to me, and I'm just speculating here, either we're getting a new new Japan of America show. That's not going to be titled strong. This is kind of based on the idea that there are a couple tapings coming up. There's uh, the one in Philadelphia. I think it's... uh, Yeah, so they they have announced uh, two shows. So Capital Collision for April 15th in Washington, D.C., which they also ran last year. And then um, they're going to do Collision in Philadelphia the next day, April 16th in 2300 Arena. Right. And one of those shows is a pay-per-view, but neither of them are branded as New Japan Strong which is a kind of a telltale sign. I'm guessing that they're either going to distribute a new New Japan show on Honor Club, and that will be part of the added like benefit of having Honor Club, is you'll have um, probably amongst other streaming shows that will be on the service, aside from just Ring of Honor, you'll probably have a new New Japan show. Or they're going to amalgamate new japan of america into ring of honor and it's going to be a combined venture the speculation is likely that there will probably be some sort of dual taping situation Uh, maybe they'll tape one show that encompasses talent from both those brands together or maybe they'll do like a back-to-back taping with two different brands two different shows maybe they'll take place on the same day or 
I don't know. I'm just speculating here. Maybe you pay one price and you get tickets for a Friday night show for New Japan and then a Saturday night show for Honor Club. And so it's like a a value for your ticket. You pay one price and you get to go to -to back-to-back tapings and see the talent from each brand or something like that. That's what it sounds like to me. Yeah, and I think that strategy would help benefit whatever the New Japan show becomes because they can capitalize on using the Tony Khan production, which we know is great for these Ring of Honor and AEW shows. So that, that thing that would help the production quality. It would probably save both companies money if they're doing joint tapings. So then you could just do run one building, use the same talent, and um, save on production, have quality production. We already saw at Final Battle that you know, Jeff Cobb and Masco Dorada were on the pre-show to New Japan Talents out of nowhere. We're on, on Final Battle, and Tony Khan, after Final Battle, kind of made that announcement that, you know, stay tuned for what's going to happen with our partnership with New Japan after Wrestle Kingdom. Um, so, yeah, it definitely seems like there's probably going to be some kind of joint roster or joint tapings and um, New Japan getting to benefit from using um, the Ring of Honor production. Um, which I think is going to be good for the future. I mean, obviously, I think, and overall, I did like Strong. Um, there's a lot of you know good matches they did on there, great programs, but the consistency of the production, um, I think, was a, definitely a big hit for the show. Um, like we talked about on the show, you know, some tours the production would be great, some tours it would be really rough, the audio would be bad, the lighting would be bad sometimes, and then the the fight TV production on pay per views, those are always hit and miss as well. Top to bottom, the the production on Strong has never been as good as it was when they were in front of an empty arena in California, you know, mm-hmm. on that soundstage where they do championship wrestling from Hollywood. That's when the show looked and was produced the best, but it was also the most boring. Once they went in front of live crowds, it was hit and miss, essentially. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Jeremy, we've said this many times in the past, and we were kind of criticized for it. People called us crazy, but like, do I think that there were good things about New Japan Strong? Yes. I think it was a great thing for giving the talent that was stateside that couldn't go to Japan a place to work. It was also a great tool for building that bridge between independent talents and domestic New Japan and people getting an opportunity to work and hone their craft and, and build their resume and get experience and everything like that. But make no mistake about it. Um, As much money as they might've made from, because here's the thing. I I still think that I could be wrong here, but I think they were generally pretty profitable when it comes to new Japan strong, just from like a, a live touring aspect and everything like that. But this was never something that was that a looked major league and b you couldn't sell it to a television distributor and the only reason that you would ever really want something to be on tape when it comes to north america is to try and sell it and put it on television and get ad revenue because that's where the real money is in north america and this is something we've been talking about on the show going back for two years mm-hmm. plus. Um, and so as great as new Japan of America was and new Japan strong was and everything, all the positives that it had, the drawback was that this isn't actually domestic new Japan and it's not something you can sell to access TV or vice 
or Fox or whoever it is you're trying to, to cut a deal with. And so I don't know if going to, to ROH is going to be a net positive or a negative one way or the other. I don't know what the future holds, but I do know that this wasn't something that could go on forever. And if they ever want to potentially make a move into the, the U.S. television space, this wasn't ever going to be the way. You know what I mean? Right. So uh, I am curious to see what happens with the titles and the talents, like your Mysteriosos or your Batemans or your uh, Adrian Quests, your guys that have kind of been here from the very beginning that have been faithful and, and everything like that. Are they going to kind of get the rub? to cross over into whatever venture new Japan is joining into with Tony Khan. Is it even going to happen? Like we haven't had an announcement. Maybe they're still working out details as we speak. I will tell you, I've talked to quite a few people in the past few days and a few of the answers I got was like, generally speaking, it sounds like people on the new Japan side didn't know this was happening. That's just the feeling I get. Sounds like they were, the word I was given was blindsided. The people I've talked to on maybe the ROH slash AW side, they seem to know it was happening, but they don't have many details. So either that or people are just not telling us anything, even people that typically would talk to us. Mm-hmm. Um, people are just playing it very close to the chest, and maybe they don't know because a deal hasn't actually fully been reached and they're working out details. So as of the time of this recording, like, we're kind of just as much in the dark as others. And those who would know seem to not know based on conversations I've had. Right. So, yeah, definitely a lot of question marks to be answered. And, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping a lot of the strong talent does kind of carry over and will be used on whatever future projects it was. was. I mean, there's a lot of great guys on that roster. Um, you know, as far as the, the West Coast kind of talent, I mean, the West Coast Wrecking Crew, uh, Filthy Tom Lawler, I think you can consider, you know, a West Coast guy. Uh, Mysterioso, Adrian Quest, like a lot of those guys, I think would be missed um, if they don't um, get carried over here. Yeah, and at the same time, it's just many of those talents would maybe never have gotten opportunity to wrestle for New Japan or on this service or in the Cerulean Blue Mat, and it might just be a learning experience and something that they can build off of and take elsewhere or who knows, maybe they, maybe in a year or two, we see like a a West coast wrecking crew, you know, tearing it up in uh, world tag league or something like that. We don't know yet. Right. A lot of questions are still left to be answered. The other thing too, is like um, right now, I don't know what honor club, we don't know much about what honor club is going to be. And maybe, maybe it will rule. You know, I'm just trying to be a little optimistic here. Maybe there will be uh, a new Japan presence that is worthwhile and interesting and worth investing into. And if it is, you know, I've had Honor Club as a service in the past. And I'll tell you what, if they can, I'm not going to tune in for, for Ring of Honor at this in 2023. But if they can put up the, the entire um, archive the archive that I've wanted them to put up for like literally when did honor club start when we started the show, like 2017, yeah, 2017. Yeah. So it's been almost five years and they still don't have the archive up. If they can put up the real archive digitized with the music and, and, you know, cleaned up and, and nice, 
and then give me like a new Japan product. And if it's not that expensive, I'll probably put the money down. But then again, it's going to be really weird to think of how this might affect our perception of new Japan as a brand, because what if it's not a new Japan show? What if they're, what if it's just like a new Japan presence on ring of honor television and they're just like defending new Japan titles and new Japan rules and you know, have a couple guys from New Japan like Moonlight every now and again, and it's just a ROH branded show. Like, I don't know, I don't know how that's going to affect, like, say, our awards or right, whatever. Yeah. You know, it's yeah, gonna be, be weird. Really weird. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll keep um, our eyes on that. And another thing here for New Japan of America: uh, Battle in the Valley is almost sold out. It might actually be sold out by the time this show uh, release. I think there was like five tickets left the last time I looked. Um, but uh, Mercedes Monet, she uh, moved several hundred tickets. There's going to be an estimated gate of uh, $250,000, a really expensive minimum. Ticket. Yeah, minimum. Um, really expensive tickets for, um, you know, the first, second row. The, the platinum tickets were uh, pretty pricey uh, for a New Japan show. So and a lot of people are kind of focusing on the just there's being like a 2,000 um, seat building, but there's uh, ticket prices are really high. They're gonna have a big gate, sold out building. Uh, first matchup for uh, Mercedes Monet and uh, taking on Kyrie. You know, um, I've seen people trying to downplay this for whatever reason. And keep in mind, this is probably going to be one of, if not the biggest gate that New Japan has done in North America. Outside of probably after, like, say, the Madison Square Garden show, you know? Mm -hmm. And this is us, like, kind of coming out of, like, the Access TV television deal partnership era where things have been very different since that time. And the show basically sold out on the back of an announcement between Kyrie Sane and uh, Mercedes Monet. And... I can't think of too many shows in North America that have drawn this kind of gate based off of the strength of a woman's match in North America. Um, now, is it AEW or WWE or even New Japan in its heyday money? No, but it's not a small gate by any measure. It's going to be a quarter of a million dollars minimum, probably more. These were very expensive tickets and they weren't. I mean, they did okay in the beginning, but after it was clear that it was going to be Sasha Banks headlining the show, those tickets st started moving and we're quite a ways out and it's virtually sold out. There's like three, maybe four tickets and they're all, you know, platinum ticket master, you know, crazy um, prices. So this is a net positive. It's something that now I'm not saying it's going to, it proves that you know, Sasha Banks is one of the greatest draws in the history of wrestling. But for anyone that wants to criticize it, let me just put it to you this way. There's not many wrestlers, man or woman, that you could have put at the top of, across the board. We're talking WWE and AEW that you could have put at the top of this card and had them sell this many tickets. Without a, without a promotional machine behind it like WWE or AEW, it just wouldn't really happen. And for it to be a woman, that's even rarer. 
So for anyone that said that she's not a draw, are there still tests to be taken and points to be proven? Absolutely. Is this the end-all, be-all? Absolutely not. But, I mean, you could have put, hypothetically, you could have easily put some WWE quote-unquote superstars in this same position. And I can tell you with beyond a shadow of a doubt, these tickets would not be sold right now. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so, yeah, I think this just shows that, yeah, Mercedes, she is a star. There is interest in her and what she's going to do outside of the WWE. And so, yeah, it's going to be, I think, you know, New Japan trying to, you know, recoup on, on that big, you know, contract or deal or her appearance deal that they have with her. And so it's kind of the first step here of getting the, the big gate for battle in the Valley. And like you said, there's still several tests. I mean, we still haven't seen what, like you mentioned last week, what does a Mercedes Monet match look like? And so we'll find that out um, in February at Battle in the Valley. But, you know, she was over training at the Sendai Girls, you know, dojo once again. And she's had history with Kyrie before. And so I think they're going to be given the opportunity to have a standout match and kind of be something that is talked about going forward. Tam's going to be pissed. <laughs> uh, we had a couple questions here from Skywalker3030 he says how do you feel about crew and the Mercedes stands having to navigate fight TV and how do you feel about crew and the Mercedes stands having to watch a NJPW US show if it had a Windy City Riot level production so bad that it makes GCW look good what's crew the Sasha crew what is that I guess that's like in one of the, you know, the nicknames for her stands oh damn I don't know about that <laughs> <laughs> um you know, I don't know. We just have such a curated timeline. I just don't interact with these Sasha fans <laughs> at all. <laughs> um, yeah, man. Uh, I don't know. Like, it, she's a draw. She, especially when I say she's a draw, I mean, I'm speaking specifically to, like, her audience, her fan base. So are they going to follow her to fight TV? Are they going to follow her to, you know, New Japan World? pay-per-view to watch her matches yes not all of them but the ones who have expendable incomes and that are diehard fans of hers they're going to tune in they're going to watch does that mean that i think that the company is going to convert all those people to uh long-term new, new japan you know shinihan freaks i, I doubt that <laughs> but there will be some conversion and um beyond that as far as like uh you, the, the rest of your question, it's going to behoove New Japan and whoever their production partners are, including Fight TV, to put on the best looking fucking show that they possibly can because there will be nothing more embarrassing than having people shell out big money to watch a show with big stars on it, anticipating watching, you know, what especially if you tuned in and you watched Wrestle Kingdom, you're like, oh shit, this is like a big time company. I didn't know. And then you turn on Battle in the Valley. And if it looks like the old, the Battle in the Valley from last year, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. the, the Monet stands will, will burn Twitter down. <laughs> get it together, New Japan. Yeah. Like they, they have no choice. Like Battle in the Valley has to be like 100% like perfect. Picture quality, audio quality. There can't be any production snafus with that. Like you have the debut 
uh, match for Mercedes Monet and uh, this big star and following the momentum uh, of her coming to New Japan. You you got to have great production for that for all these people that will be coming in to watch. I got one better for you, Jeremy. You just you just have to always be on that level. Period. You know why? Why? Because you're New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can't have shitty looking shows. You're New Japan Pro. You're the third biggest company in the world. And the reason you used to be number two and now you're number three, you have shitty looking shows in America. <laughs> like you have to have excellent quality every time. Like there's there's no getting around it. Like you can't be like this show. You can't have dogs yawning, and <laughs> people walking in and feeding the dog, and you know a squeaky chair and stuff like that. Like you're not keeping a strong style. Like you, you're New Japan. You have to be the best. Exactly. Uh, so other news real quick, uh, the NJPW World TV title match from Wrestle Kingdom 17, uh, Narita vs. Saber is now up for free on the NJPW World YouTube channel. Katsuro Shibata vs. Tom Lawler from Ryogoku at December Special Antonio Inoki Memorial Event is up on NJPW World, so we'll be able to watch that. Um, in an interview with Tokyo Sports, Kenny Omega said that Jeff Cobb should come to the U.S. to earn his shot at the IWGP United States Championship. Uh, Omega also specifically noted that he'd like to wrestle Shingo Takagi, El Desperado, and Hiromu Takahashi. So uh, sign me up for all of that. And then last thing here, uh, Johnny Powers, uh, a professional wrestler who later became a promoter for the National Wrestling Federation, passed away at the age of 79. Uh, Powers sold the promotion to New Japan Pro Wrestling in 1973, where the NWF championship was used as the company's uh, major championship through 1981. Yeah, um, very sad to hear about the passing of Johnny Powers. And great little recap there, Jeremy. I mean, I won't, you know, wax poetic for too long, but it wasn't just the fact that Johnny Powers sold the title and that he was one of the main um, promoters for the NWF, but it was the fact that he was the main top star and champion of the company when they sold and they did a huge gigantic angle where he came over as the champion and dropped the strap to Inoki. And it was sort of like the coronation of Antonio Inoki because new Japan being an outside group, they were never able to procure a major Western title for him, whether it was the AWA or NWA or WWF title. Like he was not, eligible to win any of those major or even the wwa title like he wasn't eligible to win those major straps and so essentially they had to buy the belt from a defunct you know group that had gone under because of bad business decisions um but with that they new japan treated johnny powers like a major major name and brought him in to do programs with Inoki. in many subsequent years they treated him like a major star and he really gained a huge traction in, um, you know, in Japan and just in, in general with the sporting public there and was seen as like one of the top gaijin for New Japan all throughout the 70s. So, I mean, he was kind of essentially like your prototypical, almost like a Kenny Omega or Chris Jericho or like uh, Will Ospreay, like one of the major, major Western stars in the 70s for New Japan for wrestling. So, and a uh, uh, huge historical figure in the history of, of New Japan because without him, they don't get that uh, credibility of having a Western title in the, the NWF title, which 
was the world belt for them for all those years. So um, our thoughts and prayers and wishes and uh, well wishes go out to his friends and family and all those that knew him. So uh, moving on, we have a ton of questions here. I don't know if we'll be able to get through um, all of these in time and also do recommended match of the week. We can go as quick as or as long as you want, whatever you want, man. You tell me. <laughs> uh, so we'll go through some of them, and then we might uh, punt some uh, over to next week. Uh, sure. So starting with uh, Barry Walsh, he says, Happy New Year, Ace of Podcasts. If Will Ospreay was to sign on next year for longer and have a good run with the world title, do you think years from now he might be held in the same regard as Billy Robinson? Different style, I know, but if he, if he were to stay on, could he be viewed as the best foreign wrestler of all time in NJPW? Um, you know, uh, I don't know that Billy Robinson is seen in that same regard by the general population or fan base. It's uh, kind, kind of a niche historical thing. And as time has gone on, he, there's definitely people that remember him and know him and everything like that, especially his uh, contributions to MMA and, and catch wrestling. But uh, I, I don't know that Will Ospreay isn't already past him to a certain extent. Now in Japan, is that a different story? Probably. But, uh, I mean, we're talking about a star from the 70s versus a star from the 2010s, 2020s, like 60-year difference. Yeah, definitely a big difference in, in styles and just how things were done. But, I mean, I definitely think, you know, Osprey is going to go down as one of the, the best foreign wrestlers of, of all time just based off of the resume he's going. And he's still very young um, and still has a, a long career ahead of him. You know, Lord willing, he doesn't get injured, uh, any serious injuries he's going to have. Um, an incredibly long career full of more great matches. Um, he also asked, could you see Kenny coming out to lord his win over Jay and set up a U.S. title match with Jay, provided Okada wins the main event? Uh, what so, main event? I'm, I'm confused by this question. Uh, maybe he sent this in before uh, Wrestle Kingdom happened. Pass. <laughs> uh, and last thing he says, are you surprised Jake Lee joined Noah? No. Yeah, I mean, we already saw that New Japan wasn't really interested in him, so kind of makes sense. Uh, next set of questions here from Rambo and Slam Pig. It says, the discourse online seems to be New Japan is back. Do you think this is a fair assessment, or was the idea that NJPW had been suffering through the pandemic or through the pandemic is overstated? Was Wrestling 17 a huge shift to a new post-pandemic era, or just a really great show? I'd say yes to everything. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and be a a gatekeeper and tell you how dare you, <laughs> you know, like what was there stuff from new Japan that sucked over the last three years? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And anyone that tries to tell you different is clinching their butt cheeks and being all butt hurt and stupid. Like, come on, let's not lie. Like there was stuff that sucked. Was new Japan awesome over the past three years? Yeah, Absolutely. But, I mean, the product definitely suffered, even from a perspective standpoint. So, uh, if New Japan is back, for the people that have been around, is New Japan back? In a certain way, no. In a certain way, yes. Does it feel like old times right now? Yeah, it does. Is there forward momentum and excitement and, you know, Western um, attention and everything like that? Absolutely. Are there lapsed fans turning in that haven't in years? Yes. So, I mean... Uh, I don't think that this was just a great event. I do think that this is something that's leading to other things. We're seeing continuity in our booking and in our 
the forethought, the forethought of like what is going on with these characters and these stories long term. And that's those are hallmarks of classic Gato booking. So yeah, I mean it, it, it's great. And you know, fuck anybody. I'm sorry, but like fuck the guys that are sitting there being like, you guys didn't tune in the last three years. Well, it's like they're turning in now, bro. Like, get over it. <laughs> Yeah, and we got we got a lot of fresh angles. Like this was, I felt like a changing moment. Like like, yeah. I've, been, like I've been saying, the winds of change. Like there's a big momentum going on right now in New Japan. And I it's think a twist of fate. Yeah, things are getting back to where they were. You know, 2019 before the pandemic. Um, so he also asked if the company is really committed to focusing on the younger talent and building the next batch of stars. Some of the older mainstays will be down cycled. Which of the current stars do you see as most likely to get shuffled into quote unquote dad status within the next 12 months? I don't know if I, I would say we're going to see people shuffled into dad status, but don't be surprised if we start seeing quote unquote new Japan dads go away or spend prolonged periods outside of the company. Your to- Togi Makabe's, your Minoru Suzuki's, your Kojima's, your Nagata's, um, Tiger Mask, pretty much anybody in that Anoki Memorials. <laughs> <laughs> anybody in the the O fifty division. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but I mean, you know, Tanahashi. We're already kind of seeing him being down cycled. I don't really seeing him pushed as a main eventer, having a ton of big singles matches this year. Um, Ishii. Yeah, Ishii. But I don't think either of them are going to go to a dad because. And I've said this many times in the past. There was no such thing as New Japan dads in the past. There was like, just got, like, when, once they got old enough, they just left. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that we're going to get to a point where, like, the New Japan dads thing isn't, like, the reason there was New Japan dads is because there was nowhere to go for so long. Because New Japan was the only game in town. There, there's like, a decade where it was, like, where are you going to go? Are you going to go to Noah? you going to work... Big it's Japan, no pro. You go Big Japan. Like, what the fuck are you gonna do, bro? Like, you gotta stick around. There's nowhere to go. It, it wasn't like that in the old days. In the old days, you could leave and go work somewhere. Well, guess what? In 2023, there's places to go now. You can go to Noah. You can go to All Japan. You can go to Just Tap Out. You can go to Big DDT. Japan. DDT. There's options. It's not like it was in 2012. So. This whole, like, I understand, like, the modern fans who, like, didn't experience this in the past are like, my dads, the new, they're so cute, the dads. Fuck all that. They're going away. Dads <laughs> won't be a thing. I'm telling you, if you want a prediction, dads won't be a thing, anything anymore. There will not be a thing called New Japan Dads. That's going to leave. Hmm. They'll just be veterans and, you know, youngins. It'll be like how it is in AEW. You know, you got, like, no one's calling Dustin Rhodes a new uh, an AEW dad, elite dad, the elite dads, <laughs> him and Kip <laughs> and Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> oh, uh, and last question: How likely are we to get Omega versus Okada five from the next calendar year? Do you think we will see Omega make appearances for the big shows going forward, or was the Osprey match more of an outlier? I think that there, who knows what's actually going to happen or what deals are in place, but I think the intention is for Kenny to work big shows, to defend that title stateside and abroad. And I don't know about him and Omega or him and Okada, but I think that we might see up to anywhere 
anywhere between two to three matches between him and Osprey in this calendar year. Yeah, I mean, Kenny loves Japan, and we were already kind of seeing that he wants to kind of be invested with the story of Osprey and with having the U.S. title. He already has Cobb kind of lined up for the first program. So, yeah, I think we are going to see him back for, for more big shows in Japan, and especially for America as they kind of trim down what the America schedule looks like. And I think with less shows, you can do bigger stuff and highlight a Kenny Omega on a, an American show. Uh, Sen- Senor Sombrero 3K says, following the events of the Concurso, is Doki holding himself back wearing the mesh, the mesh vest? Of course. Next yes. question. <laughs> yes, he is. Uh, Skywalker 3030, what are the top three immediate NJPW feuds you're looking forward to now that Dash is over? Uh, I don't know. Well, uh, Kenny vs. Cobb, um, Shingo Okada, and uh, Zack Sabre and Ishii. Fine. <laughs> uh, uh, MJ does PR. Does Kota Ibushi wrestle this year? Yes, but not for New Japan. You think he's going to uh, Noah? No, Triangle Ring. <laughs> uh, probably show up in AEW. Uh, second question, uh, coming off a pretty successful tag league and two Tokyo Dome bangers, what are the prospects of both tag divisions this year? Without doing any kind of fantasy booking, I just think there's a plethora of talent and not just in the company, but on the outside trying to get in that if booked correctly, and they don't even have to book that much better, just a little bit better than they have over the past few years, probably have a really good tag division in for both the juniors and the heavies yeah yeah i mean they've really did a great job of bringing in a lot of uh fresh and exciting teams so i think for everybody they brought in if they can keep those guys and, and continue to bring in new and fresh teams yeah both divisions will have uh, another good year uh next up from heavenly halbeard he says after two reigns what is the direction for white from here and what is there left for him to do there's a lot left for him to do. He's never been a baby face in the company. He's never won the G1. He's never won the main event in the Tokyo Dome. Hasn't won a New uh, Japan Cup. He's never won a New Japan Cup. And he's never been the guy. Right. It's a lot. Yeah, the one doesn't seem like it. In Kayfabe, there might he's won all the belts. There's nothing left for him to do. He's the it, leader of the bullet club. He hasn't won KOPW. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um you know, and if you wanted to get cute with it, could he do some tag stuff as well if you really wanted to? Sure. So there's a lot for him to do. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot. And he's never had like a definitive title reign. Both of his title, his first title reign is better than his second one. And, you know, the first one wasn't, you know, was super short. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. As far as his direction, I mean, I would think I would hope that a Bayface, if he stays around, Bayface turn would would come around. But I mean, it seems like his direction might be Stanford. <laughs> it might be Western to New York. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next question here from Matt Tawadi says, uh, "Please fancy book the Wrestle Kingdom 18 Golden Roll Call for just four guys." Okay, so one of them wins the junior title. The other two win the junior tag team. T- no, let's make it more realistic. The three juniors win the never open weight six man tag team titles, and Tai Chi wins the KOPW title. 
provisional lineal openweight <laughs> title and then the the other three guys come out to meet the one guy and then just four guys say hey guys we're just four guys and then they go to the back that's that's your golden roll call you could also have a be the tv title for tai chi i guess yeah <laughs> i'm just trying to keep my expectations very low and very realistic yeah actually it'd be like this just four guys are in the rambo <laughs> They all partner together. They throw everyone else. They're the last four. They're the last four, and then they do the roll call where they say, "We are just four guys." But tomorrow night at New Year Dash, there will be just one guy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh! Uh, At Wrestling Dad One Hundred and One, should Omega come back to Japan for at least one U.S. title defense? If so, what show do you think it's time for Shingo to break away from Lij and start his own faction? I'm surprised so many people think Kenny's not coming back to like work in Japan. I think he's been itching to work in Japan for a long time years yeah. now. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'll be very surprised if we don't see him at least at the, uh, whatever the, the early April slash late March show is going to be called, you know, invasion attack or to current Genesis, the um, Genesis or whatever you want to call it. I, I assume we're going to see him at least there. Yeah, I think that'll, yes. be, that'll be the next landing spot. I mean, he's already listed out people he wants to work with, so it's clear that he wants to do stuff. Sounds like the, the move is to have him... I mean, unless they're going to have find some creative way to get the belt off of him between now and next year, it sounds like we're going to wind up with a match between him and Osprey at next year's Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah. So. And then... Uh, time for Shingo? I mean, I don't know. Like, should Shingo break away? Sure. Should Does every single faction in this entire company have someone that could break away and be a top star? Probably. You know? Yeah. I mean, he so, was world champion while he was part of the group, though. So I don't know. That's true. And then he gets that LIJ money. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't, if I was part of LIJ, I'd never want to leave. <laughs> uh, Grunty Dodds, what are your favorite parts of last year's 50th anniversary celebration? Is there anything you would have liked to have seen happen that didn't? I don't know. It's a great question, but I don't know that I cataloged the top moments of the 50th celebration. I mean, I I don't have like a favorite thing. I I think there were things they did that were cool and they were really great and meaningful, but I mean, I don't know if anything like resonated with me personally like that. Yeah, I think uh, probably probably the biggest thing was just the willingness to work with other promotions. That was uh, cool, yeah. Thought I'm working with Noah. We saw them working with AW more, and even some more domestic. You know, guys were able to go and kind of show up in random places and do other stuff. And they promoted it, put a lot of that stuff on NJPW World. We saw a lot of the, the JTO stuff. So I think that was probably yeah. the highlight from the anniversary. That's a good point. I didn't think of that. Um, as far as there anything that they didn't do that, um, I don't nothing really. I mean, I think they did a pretty good job. I can't really think of anything. Besides having fully cheering crowd, which was kind of out of their control. I mean, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, casual Manatee. Why doesn't Doki have a Wikipedia page? Go create one. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, at MCW one 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 nine eight six. With Shingo challenging Okada, is this the way they finally phase out KOPW by unifying it? I'm seeing a lot of people question this and say it, and sure, that is a possibility, but I will raise you this question. 
why the fuck would they pay for a brand new KOPW title belt that not only is new, but also has inserts on the side of the plates so that you can keep putting in the new annual champion year over year if they're just going to abolish the title. I don't think they're actually doing that personally. I don't think so either. I think, you know, they just, they wanted Chingo to feud Okada, but they also want Chingo with KOPW. I think it will it'll help it'll help elevate both Shingo and KOPW to have to be in a world title main event, and I think Shingo's going to be probably seeing another year with uh, KOPW. Um, also, asked, how do you see the ZSJ led TMDK fearing New Japan? They have their own young boy now to eat the pins. I think that was really smart for them to get a pin eater. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I think they're going to do really well. You got Zack Saber Jr. who is in a prime position to win gold in pretty much any level at this point. And then Mikey Nichols and Shane Haste are especially Shane Haste. They've been fantastic on the backstage promos and letting their personality shine through. And like, I won't be surprised if they win the tag team titles in the next title defense. Yeah. I mean, I would be, you know, we see a lot of times new champs lose the belts on first defense. Um, so yeah, I could definitely see yeah, them pulling upset and beating uh Bishop on. Um, so last question here for now, and then we'll jump to recommended match of the week. If your question was not answered, we will make sure to kick it over to uh, next week and try to answer all of them next week. So uh, last question for this segment, uh, Dr. Larry at the dark, how much heat is Despy packing? Honestly, from the looks of things, Despy is up for a big year. And where do you think he ends up? I also hope NJPW keeps the doors open and has more crossovers. See, I don't know if he's asking how much heat he's packing, like, oh, this guy's so hot right now, he's on fire, or if he's asking, like, how big his dick is. like, you know, Or is he, like, like, strapped with guns? I don't think that's what he's asking. <laughs> um, moving on to the next part of the question, um, as far as, like, him having a big year, I, I suppose so. I, I don't know why... I don't know that I feel that he's poised to have a big year by any, I mean, aside from the fact that he is like the figurehead of the junior division, I don't know what has taken place promotionally to indicate that he's on track for a major push outside of just the fact that they do push him. You know what I mean? Right. I don't know. Maybe the fact that he's out of Suzuki goon, but to me, or maybe the fact that they paired him up with Suzuki at the New Year Dash as opposed to anyone else from the group. And that's like his, uh, you know, that's an indication that he's a tier above the rest of those guys. He's not like bogged down by being he's, like. He's not just a guy. <laughs> yeah, he's not just a guy. And he's not like the, the you know, sidekick to Taichi and Taka. You know? right. But uh, yeah, I do hope that they keep doing more crossovers. But um, as far as where Despy lands, I don't know as far as what the future holds for him. I'm a, I'm just nervous for everybody that's outside of Suzuki. And I, 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 we haven't been watching in recent years where they've reshook up groups like this in a very long time. And it's a lot of reshuffling. It's a lot of new booking and things are just different. So I don't, I don't know what to expect for him. And I'm a little nervous about it. Yeah. I mean, He's a star. He's a draw. He has great matches. Um, I think he'll be in a good position. I think it's all going to depend on his contract situation and kind of what the plan is for that going forward, kind of how he's going to be used, if he's going to become champion or not. But 
I think as long as he's working with New Japan, he will be, you know, highlighted and be put in a, a position to shine. Um, so moving on to recommended match of the week. So uh, last week for the excursion match of the week, Josh, you recommended uh, Kenta versus Speedball Mike Bailey from Pro Wrestling Revolver. Um, this match was uh, really, really good. It's probably one of the best Kenta singles matches in quite some time. It kind of looked uh, in really good shape. And, you know, both these guys are, are known for their kicks. So you had a lot of great uh, kick exchanges in this match. And uh, Kenta was really displaying his striking ability with Speedball. And then you had Speedball using his innovative um, offense, all, all the cool flips and dives to kind of, uh, try to outmaneuver uh, Kenta there, but uh, towards the end, uh, Kenta caught him with the go to sleep and uh, got the win in, in a really fun, like about 19 uh, minute match. So uh, it's on uh, the Pro Wrestling Revolver YouTube. If you guys haven't watched it yet, definitely go ahead and check that out. Yeah, I checked this out. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, I thought that like this, it was it was really good just across the board. But I felt like the second half is where like. I don't know how, but like Mike Bailey got the Noah out of Kenta and like we started seeing him do like the indie spots that we haven't seen him do in a really long time and the hard strike exchanges and yeah, it got really good down the stretch. Yeah. What um what would you go rating wise on this thing? I'd probably go like four stars flat. Yeah, I think I was like four and a quarter ish. So I thought like I, I was hearing some really good things but after watching it, like I, I felt really good, but not sure it's in that, you know, excursion match of the year, like, uh, caliber. Just, you know, it's just kind of probably outside of it. Yeah. Um, and then last week, you gave me, for recommended match of the week, the December 12th, 2015, pro wrestling gorilla match between one Kenneth Omega and William Ospreay uh, from PWG All-Star Weekend 11. and. This match was really, really interesting and very, very good. I mean, I would say borderline great, um, but it was just completely night and day different from what we... It was a great primer. Like, um, I don't know if I could tell anyone right now, sitting here on you know January 9th, that they should go watch this after what we just saw <laughs> from Kenny Omega and Will Ospreay. But it might be a really cool character study or just comparison to see where these guys were in 2015 and how they worked that first and only other singles match that they ever had against one another. Now, keep in mind, it, this again, this was in, a, in front of a Reseda crowd, so completely different style. But it wasn't a hundred, even though there's differences, there were some similarities between what we saw in this 2023 match in the 2015 match. I mean, there was still that element that Kenny was big brother to little homie, you know, Will Ospreay, mm -hmm. and that he was willing to use his brutal tactics and his size and his strength to overcome a supremely talented, high flying Will Ospreay, who, you know, again, was maybe more athletically accomplished than him, but didn't have all the game plan and tools in his pocket to put away a will or a Kenny Omega who was on top at the time. Um, this match was definitely a little goofier and maybe even a little botchier, obviously than what we just saw, which is essentially a perfect match, but 
you could see the kind of fundamental fingerprints that were on this match to what eventually became this year's, you know, Wrestle Kingdom semi-main event. So um, really enjoyed it, really liked it a lot. It also was enjoyable to kind of see the difference. I mean, Will Ospreay's always been a dynamo, but to see his development from where he was then and where he where he got to today and how he's, you know, upped his game. Very, very impressive. I'd probably go like a solid four to four and a quarter on this match. Yeah, I think the thing too, it's like the kind of big difference is, you know, this I think the PWG match had a like more of like a exhibition y kind of feel yes. like kind of like oh you know it's, it's kind of oh yeah, it's kenny versus will like there's even comedy involved too yeah there's a lot of comedy spots it's not treated as serious. like they had a good like match but there was more comedy it wasn't i don't think as a big of a deal as obviously the wrestling kingdom 17 match so i think it's definitely a good kind of contrast to watch but obviously they were still great back then there's a lot of cool spots in the match a lot of big sequences a lot of big moves um a lot of great near falls, big, big style PWG type match. If you, if you know, if you don't like PWG, you're not going to like this. If you love PWG, you're probably going to like this match a lot. Yeah. So I, I liked it a lot. I thought it was really great. And I thought it was very interesting to check out. Then uh, for this week, what do you got for recommended match of the week? Yeah. So I wanted to go a little, dig a little deep. And since we have the upcoming Noah versus new Japan match, I decided to dig into the vault and pick out a Katsuhiko Nakajima match. And I have selected his underrated banger with Yuji Nagata from G1 Climax 26, July 30th. This was a match that Dave Meltzer gave four stars. It's got a current uh, rating from cage match, 8.24 stars or, you know, score whatever. Um, But it is one where this was the final year of Yuji Nagata's uh, G1 Climax, and he was searching for a win. And he's facing young upstart from Noah, Katsuhika Nakajima. And, you know, Nagata's looking to teach him a lesson. <laughs> nice. Well, then for the excursion match of the week, we'll be going to Noah. Uh, Noah, the new year, 2023, the GHC Tag team title match where Satoshi Kojima and Takashi Sagura defended the titles against Kenta and Naomichi Marafuji. Nice. Uh, looking forward to that. I've seen a little bit of that show, but I, I kind of meant I put it on the back burner. Things got busy. I kind of want to go back and check out a couple of those top four matches from that show anyway. So Yeah, definitely. Well, that's going to wrap things up for this week. Uh, next week, we'll be back to preview Wrestle Kingdom 17 in Yokohama Arena, the New Japan vs. Wrestling Noah show with Justin Nipper. And if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation and by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. The network is at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook or Facebook.com slash Social Suplex on Instagram at Social Suplex on Reddit. I'm the pro black guy that's keeping a strong style. You can email me, Jeremy at SocialSuplex.com. Check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Wednesday Radio hosted by Rich Ladder and James Boyd. The Grave Consequences hosted by Caleb and Maserati. All Things Elite hosted by Ford and Austin. The AW Match Guide Podcast hosted by Sir Sam. The Great Match Generator hosted by Danny. 
Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Goodbye. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> Itchy Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.